can. He, he told me, I'm just not, I don't say anything, and that's true. But he's a very humble man, but uh, very beautiful, I can tell you that. And this is my friend, Gabe. I used to call him my young boy, but he, <laughs> he's old now. He's old. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm so, I'm, I'm so happy. You know, Gabe, that you made it. Although you know me and we know each other, you don't know the preschool. And this is um, this, and and the same thing came out. You know, y'all know me. And you know, we're activists together. But um, and you know, I talk about the preschool. I'm identified with the preschool. But uh, this is the current iteration of it, and I would say. This is the best iteration of the free school thus far. We consider ourselves using the, the language of Martin Luther King to be a world house. Mm -hmm. So what you see here is almost every religion in the world, uh, Muslim, uh, Hindu, Buddhist, uh, Christian, Catholics. <laughs> uh, and people that were not raised you know, with a religion go to China you know, just like her, she was not raised religiously, but she talks so much religion these days. I said, well, what wow. happened? I ain't found this out yet. <laughs> and, um, amen. So you will get a sense of that. You all get a sense of what this is. Um, and uh, just so you'll know, everybody, you know, for now, uh, we just celebrated our 10th anniversary. Um, and um, we will say something about that more. But uh, as you can see, <laughs> it's so mean for me to be in it because you look at them, they're so young. And I'm saying, well, <laughs> I think, you know, if I don't look in the mirror, I think I'm like with them, you know. <laughs> I have to look in the mirror and pinch myself and say, see, me, me and Derek, we all here, you always remind me. And I tell, well, I, said, I tell them, tell your age, don't get in my business. You know? <laughs> well, all right, okay. <laughs> but, but anyway, um, you know the thing. The thing that I would say, and and you'll see some people on the Zoom who are in Pittsburgh and Chicago, and um, so on. But um, you know, even though they call me Doc sometimes or most times, <laughs> you know, out of respect, you know, which I I don't. I try not to. That's not what I'm about. The doc thing is like a job description. You know, who was I before I was doc? I, I was just nobody. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so, but you see, when we begin to discuss things, that uh, there is no big me and little you. I mean, because you'll see, you'll see how it works. The other thing is. Um, you know, we meet every Saturday and it's not a frivolous discussion. 
As you'll see today, we're going to talk about the elections that just went down. We're going to talk about some questions of the economy, where the economy is going. And then we want to talk about Kyrie mm -hmm. and uh, Kanye and what that means ideologically and uh, so on and so forth. I'm so glad that Gabe is here uh, from Brooklyn. All right. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and uh, the theme of our 10th anniversary was knowledge and reclaiming the revolutionary spirit for our time. We believe that there cannot be a revolution without ideological clarity and scientific understanding of crisis. So that's what we do. Uh, so uh, we meet here. We used to meet over in the uh, church. That's where I used to. Yeah, but you see, you see that wall collapse. I know. I saw that. That's yeah, that, man. I know. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So we've been here in this space uh, since that happened. So I really, I mean, the heart mm -hmm. felt warm welcome to you all and it honors us that you're here <laughs> y'all want to say anything no pernell don't talk but i know you want to say anything no 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 i just want to just not getting yeah before he even gets but anyway um You'll meet everybody, we can go out of, but that's all right, we won't do that right now because we need to get started. Um, well, today, as every Saturday, we have a very, very, oh, I'm sorry. And this is Emily's friend, Aaron. Yes. Aaron. Now from New York, originally from Boston. Uh, so welcome, Aaron. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, we have a lot on our plate, a lot of very uh, complex and difficult issues. Of course, the election, and uh, Emily is going to help with some of the data on the election. We're going to look specifically at Philadelphia. Uh, and try to draw some conclusions uh, about what this election meant, what it doesn't mean, and so on. Then um, we're going to return to this uh, book by Nori Orobini on mega threats. Uh, I'm, uh, Sophie, and I'm very interested in your take on some of these issues. Yeah, yeah, kind of new, kind of new. Um, and um, Sade, I think I'm going to, I've been thinking, because I want to make it very, you know, kind of make some of these things clear to you and others, you know, uh, so we can get a bigger understanding of the economy and how it fits into this past election. Uh, because we, gotta, we have to really assess what was resolved in that election. 
election, the past election, what was not resolved, and what are the ongoing problems. We're going to look specifically at Philadelphia. Uh, and then uh, one of the hot topics in culture, popular culture, and in politics is Kanye mm -hmm. and uh, Kyrie. And we want to we want to get that uh, we want to come to some grounding, some anchorage about just what is going on. And I think uh, Gabe will be very helpful uh, with this. You know. Uh, okay, so uh, if if you'd like, uh, Emily, you could uh, you could begin, or if you want me to say a few words, and then I'll throw it over to you. Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, and I, I know, uh, know Jerry follows all of this very closely. <laughs> um, well, the election of 2022 uh, did not turn out quite like most pundits uh, had thought. Uh, if things had gone uh, as were expected, it was clear that it would have been a, what they were calling a red wave. Uh, all of the objective conditions, I'm going to separate the objective from the subjective conditions, all of the objective conditions, such as high inflation, people looking at a recession, if not already in a recession, uh, which creates a situation of what is known as stagflation, economic stagnation in the midst of high inflation. Um, and of course, the war in Ukraine and the, the growing fears about where this is, this, pardon me, where this administration is going in terms of uh, not just the war in Ukraine, how far Again, the Biden administration is prepared to take that. And then, of course, which, which is even a larger question, a war in the South China Sea uh, involving uh, China. Uh, so there were, there were many anxieties that were apparent. Uh, then, of course, given that the Democratic Party locally and nationally. I'm talking about the Philadelphia Democratic Party, whatever that is. And uh, nationally, you know, the Joe Biden and those has completely abandoned its base uh, and could not run on making things better for the working class and the poor. Had no answers, for instance, in Philadelphia to the deepening crisis of the black community, including the trauma caused by gun violence. Uh, I don't know, at least I'll put it this way. <clears throat> I don't have a conversation with a black person today where after we say, hello, how you doing? How's the family? What you doing? And that type of thing, we don't, begin to discuss violence. It is lowering the capacity of the Black community to unite and struggle. 
it is injuring, impairing Black civil society. People don't come out of their houses after dark. Some people don't even go to church because of fear of neighbors of, are not as neighborly as they once were. Uh, this is what this type of violence produces and it, it is an existential threat. And I'll just be very uh, upfront about it. This violence that we're seeing now is a greater threat to us as black folk and of course, when you say to black folk, you're talking about to the wider struggle for democracy and peace. Mm -hmm. If you take black people out of the equation, all progressive struggles weaken. Mm -hmm. This is very clear. Um, so if we're in an existential crisis, and I think we are, and it's a combination, of course, the gun violence, but there are a number of things that Gabe and I talk about. I think. Uh, I think our quote pop culture is conspiring against us. I would say that, Gabe. I, I kind of got that from you at one point. You know, what seemed to be to have possibility has now turned into be something quite the opposite and, and such. Um, too much of negativity is being pumped into the minds and hearts of children and youth. And we've never experienced quite like this. We've never, because then you impair generation, you impair their capacity to think. And we'll get back to this when we talk about the resistance of Kanye and Kyrie, and that's what it is. And it's heroic. It's in the best tradition of black manhood standing up. And, and in a lot of ways, we need to be proud of them, but we'll come back to that. So I thought that all of that, and it did conspire to suppress the black turnout. And as we look, and Emily and I went through some of the ward numbers, and you look at Maine, uh, not, not all black wards, because you go up to the Northwest, you get a high turnout, mm -hmm. but then you go to Southwest Philly, you're down to 30%. Mm -hmm. So a lot, so the black professional and more stable working classes uh, turn out and given the particularities of the Northwest section, politically organized with a very tight political machine, you go to the poorer parts of, of black Philadelphia, uh, politically not that well organized and, by the Democrats, so as such. Um, but poverty itself forces people back from politics because the poor don't trust politicians. And a growing part, and this is another thing we're seeing, Black men are in a state of deep anger for a number of things. And they are either uh, retreating and not getting involved or, um, or going towards the Republicans. 
And this is all a part of a protest. It, it is not as, and I, I want to talk about this, the ideological um, paradigm of so-called black feminism, which is a university generated bourgeois, quote, women's liberation movement. That's all quote unquote, you know. It is not, it does not speak to black women or black men. And uh, rather than fight for the unity that black men and women strive for, you talk to any black working woman, any poor black woman, they will not mouth the anti-black men rhetoric of these black feminists. And so their interpretation of black men withdrawing from politics or voting against the party they're supposed to vote for, they see that as somehow lack of capacity of black men. And so you get this, uh, uh, what's her name? The heavyset woman from up at uh, uh, Rutgers. Brittany Cooper. Brittany. Uh, you know, I say most times, you need to sit down and shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. And of course, the white elite, the white ruling elite will promote such rhetoric. That is that black men have a lower capacity. No, black men are alienated and angry at a system. And they are taking their own means of protesting until there is a movement. We'll come back to that again. I thought that all of this would be enough and a lot of people did, a lot of people did, to take the Democrats down. Now, taking the Democrats down was not an end in itself. It was just a act, a momentary a political act, collective political act on a longer road. And the Biden administration, as we had spoken about it here quite often, is the most dangerous, uh, reckless administration. Uh, like they say, in recent memory, and I always say, whose memory? <laughs> really, since the end of World War II. Um, I said to Gabe, we were at a birthday party. I said, Gabe, I've, you know, we're talking yada, 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 yada. I said, I voted for Trump. No, you didn't, Doc. I said, yes, I did. He don't understand it yet. But I, I will knew. never understand that, Tony. Yeah, well, let me explain. See, and it's easy. But see, see, to understand it, first of all, you have to understand I'm a revolutionary. In this game, and I, you know, I don't know how to think other than as a revolutionary. You see what I'm saying? So I'm not, I'm not trying to follow uh, what the, the general consensus is because I know how, you know, like uh, Noam Chomsky talks about the manufacturing of consent. I know how the media, I know how the institutions can conspire to force us all to take a position. Now, I didn't vote for Trump because I felt it was an answer. I voted for him because he said if he's reelected, he would leave NATO. If he was reelected, he would consider 
a pardon for Edward Snowden and Julian Assange. I knew that under his administration, unlike every administration since of the first Bush administration, he is the only one, you could probably go back to Carter, that had not gotten the nation involved in another war and had in fact stated clearly that if, he said in 2016, if he were elected, there would be no more regime change and uh, uh, nation building, the whole policy of the uh, neocons and neoliberals. Okay, an opening. My thinking, and I, I said this in an interview with Mar Margaret Kimberly, she said, but the Democrats, Biden has not lived up to all that he said. I said, Margaret, what makes you think that he intended to? It was a bait and switch, you know, bait, I'm going to show you everything good, but then when I get you in, I'm going to switch. It was all about recapturing the global hegemonic position. And immediately a war with Russia, immediately threatening war with China. And of course, uh, as under the, um, uh, the Trump years, there were no military nuclear exercises around the Korean Peninsula. You see what I'm saying? I made a calculated decision, war and peace. The, the fate of humanity is on the line. And of course, I ended up taking a, um, a victory lap because Noam Chomsky, y'all might not know Noam Chomsky, one of the, probably the greatest American public intellectual. I mean, and that doesn't mean I agree with him, but he's a force. He hates Trump. He can't, I mean, every, I mean, he was, you know, we got to defeat Trump. The question is the environment and on and on and on. But then when he saw, and he understands what this war in Ukraine is. I mean, it is, and, you know, we'll talk, maybe we'll talk more about it. I said, oh, oh, Chomsky said, the only uh, national politician in the West that came out against this war was Trump. Now, of course, the media in this country spin it, oh, that's the, the, the Putin wing mm -hmm. of the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. You know, and I read it as the peace wing of the Republican Party. Then, and I took that risk, calculated, because from a revolutionary perspective, I was never impressed with what Biden said, what they were going to do. Oh, the progressives are controlling the agenda of the Democratic Party. I said, bullshit. This is a party where the agenda is decided by the richest oligarchs on Wall Street and Silicon Valley. Most of the military industrial complex is in that party. The intelligence services, the FBI, CIA, all of them are in the Biden party. And I said, if that can be broken. Now, the 2020 election, somewhat like the 2022 election, was a standoff, and it shouldn't have been. Everybody said that 
Biden was going to blow Trump out of the water. It was all over. And of course, the Democrats always have the lion's share of the money, which tells you something. And if you didn't know anything else, if you take the Black community out of the Democratic Party, it would be even more of this mm -hmm. that is the richest, wealthiest party in human history. No political party has been made up of, I mean, almost completely the ruling class, almost completely. And, you know, one marker of it, you, have, you know, when they say these things, you have to look below the surface. What they say is that most overwhelmingly, most people with college degrees are in the Democratic Party. Most people with high school degrees or lower are in the Republican Party. So we've had a switch. But more than that, what they're calling the Putin wing of the Republican Party the Marjorie Taylor Greens and others are really the peace wing. You say, well, and Margaret asked me this, well, doesn't the out party always oppose war policies of the in party? I said, sometimes, but not always. And of course, now we know that there's a fierce struggle within the Republican Party. And this, this is something we really have to look at. And so we're trying to understand this, the, the landscape. And in the face of both international geostrategic um, competitions, China's a huge, quote, they say competitor, they mean a threat. When they say threat, they mean war. Um, so that plus what looks like the onset of one of the most profound economic crises since the Great Depression. So the ruling class had to hold on to government power. My strategy was weaken them. Uh, Tulsi Gabbard, you know, left the Democratic Party recently. She said it was a party controlled by warmongers. Well, hey, girlfriend, I'm down with you. Now, this creates another problem, at least for the Black struggle. And this is Glenn Ford's notion of the Black misleadership class. And you're talking about a misleadership class. Back in the 70s, there were about 20 members of the Congressional Black Caucus. That's about when it was formed as a, as a block within Congress. They tended to be left-wing, anti-establishment, pro-peace, anti-war, you know, the likes of Ron Dellums, um, Conyers, uh, and they, they held the major force among Black Democrats and progressive Democrats at that time. Then you get, you know, ultimately cats like from Philadelphia, um, from, uh, uh, 
know, uh, from what's the uh, Bright Hope Baptist Church? Gray? Gray. Well, yeah, William Gray. Gray. William Gray. William Gray. William Gray. Uh, William Gray then becomes the uh, uh, the, the guy that's going to undermine the radical and progressive wing that was constituted by the people I mentioned and others. He was again, he was going to play the game uh, of the uh, ruling elite. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, you see what I'm saying? But today, the Congressional Black Caucus is made up of 59 people and they're worthless. Uh, just, you know, I guess I'll say something that might not be too pleasant for a lot of people. I would take Marjorie Taylor Greene and Tulsi Gabbard, those two, over all of the Congressional Black Caucus. Because again, there is no revolutionary position that is not anti-imperialist and pro-peace. You cannot be a revolutionary and say that all I'm concerned about is my social security check. Most people, that's all they're concerned about, but not as a revolutionary. And as an anti-imperialist in the most powerful, dangerous, imperialist, war-making country in history, your first responsibility is to oppose, as they say, your own imperialism, your own government, when it becomes that kind, and you can't hide. And that's the problem with the liberals and the social Dems. And uh, all I'm concerned about is uh, that we don't, uh, 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 uh. That's, you know, I'm, I talk to Emily a lot and she stays angry, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, not when I go to church. Not, not when she goes to church. <laughs> I didn't know you went to church like that. But 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 you know, it's it's um it's infuriating. In other words, to face this problem of what is labeled progressivism will be quote progressive and stand with war. And that's what we're looking at. From the standpoint of the Black liberation struggle, there is, outside of Farrakhan, and we're going to come back to him, outside of Farrakhan, there is no national Black leader that people know anything about that could rise one-tenth of the level of Martin Luther King. <laughs> who said in effect, and people don't understand this, there is no civil rights without the fight for peace. There cannot be anti-poverty without a fight for peace. Peace is the central question. So don't say I'm anti-white supremacy and you ain't got nothing to say about the international situation. You're a fraud and a perpetrator of a fraud. And I guess that's what, that's what gets gets you upset. It's not that that you can I can, you can disagree with anybody, and that's a good thing, you know, to have debate, you know. But no, uh, this idea you won't cancel somebody. Like who gave you the authority? Because you went to some university, 
and teach on some uh, uh, weak ass faculty. Oh, I'm gonna cancel what shit? I'm gonna cancel me. You understand what I'm saying? But let us go back to the foundations of Black liberation. Malcolm X would never have conceived of abandoning uh, uh, Patrice Lumumba or African independence because I got to make a deal with the white ruling class over here so that my people can get X, Y, and Z. The fact of the matter, once you abandon principle and internationalism, you ain't getting nothing for your people. You got a promise that the ruling classes will never keep. That was my point. And that remains my point. And I think 2022 confirms my point and this kind of politic. And, and you know, frankly, I'll debate it with anybody, you know. Uh, come on, let's set it up. Let's go at it. Let's clarify for the masses. But since most of those, and I, I, I'll be finished with this in a second. Most of those who we see, who most of the people see, have been chosen to represent and speak for Black people by the greatest enemies of Black people. Um, and I, you guys might not know how this feels, you know, and that's why we studied King so closely and of course the great James Baldwin. Uh, so I'll just say like, that's one thing. Now, this election, and I think Emily will show the data, it's like two people in a knife fight, right? So I've got you down on the ground, you know? And I'm, I've got the, my dag, and I'm ready to go for the heart. And you grab it, and you flip me over. Now you want to, you understand what I'm saying? I couldn't kill you, but now I can't, uh, you can't kill me. It's still a standoff. It is more, the election results this time are more like 2020 where Trump was supposed to be defeated and he got more votes than any Republican had ever gotten. And then the claim, and it was a very, it was as close as 2016 from the electoral college point of view. You know, one tenth of 1% decided Georgia. Similarly in Wisconsin and Michigan, it is razor thin, which means not only are the American people, and this is what is new, White people are divided along a very deep class division. Now, the big question is, what will Black folk do? Because if Black folk turn against the Democrats, that party is done. Now, in this election, not only did they spend twice as much money, they talk about Fetterman, Look, man, he had twice, I mean, he bought an election. Now they have skills. I mean, when I said, I'm not saying he has skills, but people who deal with strategic communications, with advertising, with promotion. I mean, it got so bad that they were, they had commercials for Fetterman talking about, he takes care of dogs. <laughs> I don't know if anybody saw that. It's all the family. 
Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, but no, did you see the dog? <laughs> yeah, he rescues dogs. This is what, this is, you know, but this is what was going on. But recognizing, this is in Pennsylvania, that there was a lot conspiring to keep black men and black young people away from voting, they had to find a substitute constituency. And this is where they try to do the abortion rights and the suburban women and all that. But that's only temporary. Mm -hmm. Now, um, you know, of course, the ruling class. And again, I, wanna, I, I just want to underline, if you don't see class in this as kind of an engine, and how class and race, class and black liberation. A lot of people try to say, well, this is a black thing. Well, it's a black thing, but it's also a class thing. Because the vast majority of black people are poor and working class. Philly is the most poor city among the top 10 cities in the country, not because poverty is generalized, and it is generalized, by the way, because of this huge population of impoverished, ill-fed, ill-housed, ill-educated Black folk. And what they keep trying to do with their, you know, propaganda thing is to say to the Black poor, don't look at your class interests. It's all about race. But it's not all about race. We are not and have never acted in the history of Black people as a people in ourselves, but as a people cut off with, we don't have no friends or allies. We, we don't have objective interests that might intersect with the objective interests of others who are poor. That's a, that's a people in ourselves. We are unique. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. No, we have operated as a people for ourselves, meaning because we are for ourselves, that means we are for humanity. It's everywhere you look. And um, we're going to try to demonstrate, Seraphina and I were meeting about our celebration of Paul Robeson. Mm -hmm on April 9th, but um, the way we're conceiving of it. Let's try to have it again. Because I, I, I keep thinking it's Uncomfortable Love, but it's not that. What is it? Yeah. Go, tell me what it is. Unconquerable Love. Unconquerable Love, The Magnificent Lives of Paul Robeson and the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. And we're going to say, this is what these, these thinkers, these activists, these organizers, these two great human beings brought us so far forward. And now we have to understand what all that meant. A people for ourselves, not a people in ourselves. A people for ourselves is a people who are for humanity. I don't care who you read, 
that is what the message is in the Black struggle. The ruling class, while claiming to be woke and fighting white supremacy, want to reestablish the color line. And this goes for the whole swath of liberals, the whole swath of so-called social democrats, the so whole swath of so-called progressives. And when you say progressives, all that means is that you're connected to a quote, progressive nonprofit, which is another way of saying that you're a poverty pimp, yes. you're a race pimp, yes. you're a race hustler. You know, you got your job, you keep your job for talking shit, but you're a race hustler and a poverty pimp at the essence of it. And the hierarchy is at the top are white people, white elites connected to the ruling class. That's what a nonprofit is for the most part. So, and all nonprofits, or most non 99% of nonprofits, are connected to the Democratic Party. And so their function is to prevent an all-out attack upon the centers and institutions of power locally, because the city council, you know, we don't, you know, we we uh Brunel can tell you this. When we elected our first black mayor here, I mean it was like you know, happy days are here again. I mean, we died and went to heaven. And then it all unraveled because it was not what it said it was. Then we got another black mayor and it got worse. And then we got Michael Nutter and taxes and taxes and people losing their homes and schools declining. But we got black mayors. We had black superintendents of school. We had black president of city council. Everything is black but black people are doing worse in Philadelphia. Now to prevent an all out assault upon that injustice and that betrayal, and people feel that you have to create a threat external to the black community. And that is Trump. And that is fact, they are fascists. We, we have to talk about that labeling. What is fascism? What is fascism in the United States in the 21st century? You know, by the way, just a quick thing. Fascism is always associated with war. So if it is war that is essential to fascism, then the Biden administration must be fascist. Well, let's go back a few years. What about the anti-crime bill of 1994, which decimated a whole generation, two generations of black young men and destroyed the economic viability of many black communities? Well, that was Clinton and members of the Congressional Black Caucus. And then add to that war, well, Biden was one of the great champions of that bill. You don't have to look far. It's not rocket science. Michelle Alexander wrote the book on it. 
the new Jim Crow. Mm -hmm. One third of war of young black men locked up. Who do black women marry? How do you establish a, you know, a relationship so we can pay the bills? If nothing else, no love lost. Just pay the bills. You take half of the economic potential of the black community away. Oh, but we forget all of that. Joe Biden is our friend. Bait and switch. You never were my friend, and I haven't forgotten that you're not my friend. Neither was Hillary Clinton. But then, strategic communication, propaganda, advertising, make white, black, and black, white, up, down, and down, up. Everything is the opposite. Read the book 1984 by George Orwell. Mm -hmm. the, and he was talking about something else, but, but the thing is true. A, a sign of a authoritarian regime is to make people believe lies and to perpetrate lies and so penetrate the consciousness of the people and to distract them with bullshit culture, meaningless culture and sports and celebrities. And this is particularly targeted to black folk, although not alone, but particularly targeted to black folk. And then when there's a protest, the black person is an anti-Semite. The game is rigged from the get. So any resistance to that must be seen positively. Just because you see something as positive, in other words, like, um, uh, like Shaquille O'Neal, a broke down bum and bootlicker, seven foot two, 350 pound bootlicker, gonna step to Kyrie. And you don't even know what the issue is. But that is to say, and LeBron, that is to say, this is the voice of the white ruling class speaking through black men or alleged men. I could curse, but I'm not gonna start there today. This is, this is what the configure, this is the landscape. And, and I just wanna say in these matters of the political struggle, which in the end is a struggle for power. When I say a struggle for power, I'm not talking about one day we're gonna wake up and there's an uprising and the masters take over the White House. It is an ongoing, prolonged, fight. The ruling class realizes it is in a crisis of legitimacy. We talked about that so much. Every poll shows that even the ones for this election, 80% of the people say the nation is moving in the wrong direction. 80%. 60% say the government doesn't represent them. 25% say we're willing to use arms to overturn government. 
It is what Gramsci, Antonio Gramsci called a situation where the old is dying, but the new cannot yet be born. And then he went on to say, multiple forms of monstrosities are then created. We're kind of in that, so it's stalemate, but what is the stalemate? It's not just Democrats, Republicans. It is the old is dying, is decaying. Now we talk about the economy a little bit more, you'll see a little bit more clearly, but the new cannot be born. Uh, I, you know, just a couple of things. I, you know, I follow commentary in the you know the New York Times. I like David Brooks. Lately, not always. <laughs> I follow you know commentary in the Financial Times. Uh, by the way, on the political situation in the United States, the Financial Times, who I I used to think their opinion page was far superior to anything in, in, in this country, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Washington Post. But I think the Walls, I mean, the Financial Times has become such a slave to the neocons and neoliberals that they can't even speak well. You find the same thing? They can't really think anymore. Yeah, they can't think anymore. Uh, and uh, so I find, you know, better, of commentary on the opinion page of the New York Times these days. Mm -hmm. And David Brooks is one of them. And, um, you know, in the face of all of the, you know, CNN, MSNBC triumphalism, we won, we won, we won. No, you didn't. It was stalemate. It's just like it was before the election. A severely divided electorate, severely divided population, and the division is increasingly along class and economic lines. Um, David Brooks pretty much said this. Others are saying, look, don't celebrate too early. Uh, in a lot of ways, this uh, triumphalism, the celebration reminds me of when the Soviet Union collapsed. Mm -hmm. And I'll, you know, I just want to put, put my head under my <laughs> pillow. I didn't want to hear anymore. I mean, you could not, you guys could never imagine, you know, we won the Cold War, we defeated them. And then if that wasn't enough, some of my good friends, good friends, but politically not on the same page, like man, you don't know Manning Marable, he passed away, Horton Scholar, Cornell West, even Angela Davis, no, because this is a victory for democracy. Anybody with that much sense knew that was not the case. This was a victory for war. That's what it was, because you took the major you know, like in a chess match, you know, you can't checkmate me because if you try to check, you can check me, but then I can check you. That's the Soviet Union and the United States at that during the, what, the, what they call the Cold War. When the Soviet Union collapses, we were in a more dangerous situation than before. But still, this 
uh, this mantra of democracy, which is whenever you hear, it's just like, uh, what can I say, person, well, anybody is always talking about democracy, 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 you know, uh, grab your wallet because they're trying to rob you. It's the most hypocritical claim, especially from war makers. You cannot have democracy, people's democracy, without an end to war. War maker cannot be democratic, especially in a situation. And this is what we have to recognize. The American people, war exhausted. It's not a matter of do you like this one or the other one, or he lives in upstate Pennsylvania and I don't like that. No, no, no. We're revolutionaries. We're looking at the objective conditions. The American people are more anti-war today than they were at the height of the anti-war protests over Vietnam. Isn't it ironic? But the ruling elites claim that, well, if you're against the war in Ukraine, which is Biden's war, you are an apologist for Putin. And like my friend, who is now the, the co-chair of the Communist Party, now when you say Communist Party these days, you do have to put quotes around it. I mean, that's the, it's the most fake communist party. Now, I say to my friends who were there, I was there 30 years, no problem, good, you know, beautiful thing. But for a co-chair of the Communist Party of the United States to call Vladimir Putin a fascist, but yet you tell me to vote for Biden? You see what I'm saying? You're dealing with... You're dealing with either mental illness or maybe, you know, uh, fentanyl addiction or crack or some shit. It's so absurd. But it indicated, unbeknownst to him, because he's, I know him, you know, unbeknownst to him, in calling Putin a fascist, he was objectively saying, I'm for war to ask Putin. Mm -hmm. And I said, excuse me, mm -hmm. do you know what the fuck that means? That's nuclear war. They told you that. The only time Russia will use nuclear weapons, they said, and it is their policy, is if the, the Russian state is threatened. You're not going to come up in, and that's what Ukraine is about. Missiles, five minutes from the seat of Russian government. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's say we did the opposite here. We won't even say uh, right up on my borders. Let's say suddenly uh, the Russians make a deal with the Puerto Ricans in Puerto Rico and set up nuclear weapons. You don't think this nation would go to war seeing that as an existential? Of course they would. Mm -hmm. And under just war doctrine, 
which is enshrined in international law. That is a just war because it would be a war of self-defense. By the way, that's the situation on the Korean Peninsula right fucking now. Last point. I'm not, you know, and no one should ask the mass of people to have figured all of this out. People trying to put food on the table, trying to make sure their children are safe in a public school. They don't have the luxury that we have. But don't call yourself a woke activist and be indifferent to the global situation. Don't. Don't do it. And don't be, you know, uh, you know, I didn't know, you know, five years, oh, I didn't know that, that the, uh, uh, what do you call me, the, the, the non-profits was an arm of the intelligence services of the United States. Oh, I wasn't born doing Cointel Pro. Well, talk to somebody that was. I remember I was on WRD, you know, reading Du Bois. So they had this, uh, what is a, a nut uh, parading as the quote rapping professor, anti Du Bois. And of course, you know, I had a head on with, with Mo, Mo Leffy Asante. <laughs> And so he's one of Mo Lefe Asante's boys. So every, you know, I'm reading just the boys. Why not? Thankful to the ownership and management of WRD, but they don't control all the nuts that they have on the talk show. So he, some read, you know, so then he going to start some bullshit about the boys was an FBI agent. Mm -hmm. So he was running this. I, I couldn't take it no more. So I went and I said, look, before we even read, I'm going to tell you something. I said, the boys wasn't no epic. Well, what do you mean? I said, I'm going to ask you this. You ever come under the scrutiny of the FBI? I said, if you haven't, shut up. Because I have. Don't know, but run off at the mouth. This is the problem. And authorized by these fake university departments to be able to do that. All I have to say, that's why I say, don't call me Doc. I'm Tony. Just keep it real. I don't want to be associated with some kind of hierarchy that is based upon a rigged system so I can walk around black people. I'm a doctor. No, I ain't no fucking doctor. I'm an ordinary black man. My roots are in the struggle. I didn't, well, but anyway, don't know about COINTELPRO, but can run off at the mouth. Du Bois, take Du Bois out of the equation of black liberation. You don't have black liberation. There is no theory of black liberation. It's all there from the souls of black folk going forward. There is no intellectual 
that comes anywhere near him in the United States, black, white, or otherwise. He is the equal of the most important thinkers of the modern epoch. Take him out of it. There is no way to think about black liberation. I don't care whether it's his concept of the color line, double consciousness, a wage for white, you just go, let's go, you know, it's, it's just too much. But to take him out of it, you have to perform, oh, I didn't know. If you didn't know, get off the stage of fucking history <laughs> and shut up. Shut up. Last point, Baldwin, James Baldwin. Abandoned by the LGBTQs because he ain't LGBTQ enough. Because Baldwin said, when asked by a writer for the Village Voice, he says, what, it is, what does it feel like to be a gay black man? Baldwin said, I don't use that term gay. I'm a black man. Don't qualify. What I prefer sexually, that's me. That don't define my politics. So with that language, he don't fit the LGBTQ narrative of canceling. But it's hard to cancel James Ball. He's just too beautiful. <laughs> you, cancel, you, you cancel James Ball, you cancel your own damn self. Um, but, you know, Eddie Glau, a guy I know, I'm, I'm kind of a friend, you know, writes a book on Baldwin. I forget the title now, I, I reviewed the book. One part of it, he uses the phrase that James Baldwin it's a fragile, queer man, fragile gay man, something like that. Now, the whole book is based around, you know, those two unbelievable essays in the book called No Name in the Street. We've read them here. I'll have to return to them. But he, um, he said, he acted as though he'd never read those essays. I mean, no fragile man could write what Baldwin wrote. Yeah. <clears throat> and what he says in those essays, it established him. And this is in 19, late 1969, 1970, when it was published. Baldwin established himself beyond question as a revolutionary. Standing with the Black Panthers while criticizing Eldridge Cleaver ruthlessly. He said, you know, because Eldridge Cleaver, you know, trying to cancel James Baldwin because James Baldwin was homosexual. And James Baldwin said to him in no uncertain terms, I don't think you, I said, no, James Baldwin said, don't get me confused with the sissies you knew in prison. That ain't me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Don't, I mean, in other words. And then he established himself supporting, supporting Angela Davis, supporting, looking to the young upcoming revolutionaries as the future. Baldwin, 
take Baldwin out of the equation. You ain't got no black liberation. You got a lot of talk about black liberation, but you don't have an anchorage. Okay, my last, last fucking <laughs> Back, this all is a part of the election, plus it's not just the election, it's the overall ideological struggle in this country, which will get us to Kanye and Kyrie. We are in the throes of one of the great, probably the greatest ideological conflict in the history of this country. To understand that you have to understand what ideological struggle is. You have to understand how a ruling class depends upon ideologically controlling the population. One message for black people, one message for white people, one message for Latinos, one message for Asians. You know what I'm saying? Everybody's told black people are dangerous. And this is again. When we get to Kyrie, you we're gonna see it so quick and and, and Kanye. It this is horrible but it's a part of an ideological struggle. What Kanye, I'm right about this, I gave Kanye is contesting the, the trajectory of hip hop. Yeah. Saying we don't control it mm -hmm. and who controls it? Mm -hmm. But what he's also, or I will interpret, he's not saying it, that it's always been ideological. It looked like it was fun and young people just talking about killing and, and working. Uh, and that, you know, bees and hell, you know, first of all, it is not organic to us. And I, anybody, and me and Gabe debate this, that's not organic. You don't go from ooh, baby, baby, and as I say, love's in need of love, and a love supreme, and love this, love alive orchestra, and, and all of that, to calling black, or, you know, Smokey, I like to run my fingers through your curly hair, I'm looking in your brown eyes. The black romantic ideal in music, the spiritual ideal, the black spiritual ideal in music, where, where the messages are stronger than in any other form. Break the back of that, and for two and a half generations, put poison in the veins of children. I got grandchildren, raised children. Children don't like violence. By the way, children don't like to be sexualized. Oh, that's just the way it is. We're going, we're keeping it. No, you ain't keeping it real. It was an ideological attack upon the souls of black folk. Right. After centuries of building up what became the greatest music the world had known. Mm -hmm. And it was and is, and you bust all that down and you say to kids, children, parents who are often psychologically children, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm nursing a baby and I'm listening to some bullshit. That baby hears that. The spiritual life of that baby is disrupted before it can even establish a spiritual identity. 
was ideological, it was political, it was deliberate, it was focused, and that's what Kanye is protesting. That's what Kyrie is protesting. Mm -hmm. That's what the vice president of the NBA Players Associate stepped back. Mm -hmm. Kanye ain't anti-Semitic. And then when um, Emily, she's gonna read the letter of the, the statement of the, the writer of, of, the, uh, of the film. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's still on Amazon. Mm -hmm. So is Amazon anti-Semitic? Oh, sure. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Amazon, they still sell Mein Kampf by Hitler. So you're anti-Semitic. Yeah. yeah, if it applies to Kanye, why doesn't it apply to Amazon? He just posted it. It's just like Julian Assange. He just posted information that was given to him. Now he's been in jail for what? Eight, nine years. Let's, mm -hmm. you know, so I'll stop there. So this election did not, nothing was settled. We're back to where we already were. And, uh, you know, as, uh, as they said in the uh, PAIGC, the struggle continues. Nothing was resolved, but now we're, we're looking at the onset of an economic crisis that might be the game changer, might not be, we'll have to see. But I stopped there, I'm sorry to talk to you. Oh, um, okay, go, go ahead, okay, well, I'm here now. Um, well, I think you, you covered the, I'm glad you spoke first because yeah. like what you were saying about the knife fight that see, because the way the media and the news is trying to portray the 2022 election. Well, I guess I'll step back. I did, I was expecting and actually hoping for like a complete sweep, like a red sweep. I was hoping Everybody because- I mean, most people were. Yeah, because the situation in America is so dire, so bad. People are suffering so much that I wanted it to be a situation where people for the first time had to face the fact that the American people are unhappy, that they're not going to vote according to your messaging, that they won't vote at all, or they're going to vote not according to the ruling class's desires. Mm -hmm. But then it ended up being, so then after the election result came in and Pennsylvania actually ended up being pretty blue, mm -hmm. I felt a little disappointed. I was like, what did this mean? Was I wrong? Like, all this stuff. And then also my union was like, we did it guys. Like all of our hard work paid off. Like we door knocked, we phone banked. And they were like, the working people win. Like we have our champions in office. And like, that also made me kind of sad because I was just confused. I was like, what does this mean for, like, what does the election actually show? Like what, what about Pennsylvania, Philly, the nation? So I started looking into the data and I think the compared, the metaphor of a knife fight is, True, because the thing is, is that even though in Pennsylvania, for example, in competitive races, Democrats won, if you look across the whole country and even in, if you look across the whole country and even locally and at the data, if you look at turnout data, everything, you see that even the Democrats themselves, they, first of all, were surprised they even won in Pennsylvania. Like Fetterman was literally shocked. Like I was given the directive as part of my union to not go to Fetterman's party. To go to Shapiro's party because Shapiro, they knew Shapiro was going to win, and they weren't sure. People like no one knew. Democrats were like not even sure if their messaging was going to win, which shows that 
everyone is out of touch with them. Every no one actually knows what the American people will do, how they'll vote. No one knows what issues, what are their number one issues. Everyone's confused, which I think is why what you're saying is like the 22 election, if you're going to look at it, you have to look at it as what is the landscape? Like what kind of calculated decisions are people making? Like how, what does, what does, like what do the votes actually mean? What do the non-votes mean? And so I just wanted to like share some of the data I found because I think it helps complete the picture of what you were saying, Doc, where like, first of all, like let's just talk about turnout. Like, I was really curious about actually the turnout, not just Philly, but Pennsylvania, and then also nationwide. So, like, I'll start with Pennsylvania. I'll start with, like, states. Um, Pennsylvania had a 55.7% turnout. Mm. And, like, I'm not going to give you how many registered voters there are in the whole population of, like, who can even vote, because that was too much work. It was too much work for me, mm -hmm. I'm sorry. But Pennsylvania had 55.7% turnout, which is actually pretty good. Yeah. In 20 in the 2018 midterms, it's greater than the 2018 midterms, which is 51%. 55, the 55% turnout in the 22, 2022 elections in Pennsylvania is a little lower, but still pretty like pretty comparable to the 2022 mm -hmm. presidential elections, which was 70% turnout. Mm -hmm. Um Philly also had pretty, okay, I thought it was pretty high turnout just because it's pretty comparable to past turnouts in general election or midterm elections. In Philly, um, it was a 46% turnout at the end, like as of right now, it's 46% turnout, which is in terms of actual votes. So just think about people going to the polls, 490,806 like votes. So that's like basically 490,000 people like going and voting. Fetterman wins with 382,000 votes. Mm -hmm. um, Shapiro wins with 396,000 votes. So that's just to give you an idea of the, the in Philly, how many people mm -hmm. are actually going and voting, like compared to the one, I think it's above, it's like 1.5 million population in Philadelphia, mm -hmm. according to the census. It's 1.2. I think 1.2 is registered. Oh, actually, you're right. One point, the population of Philly, I think is 1.2 million. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, but going back to the state level, like, I think Pennsylvania had a pretty high turnout, but like now let's compare it to other states because I think to me this says something. Mississippi, 31% turnout. This is way lower than 2018 and 2020. So, 2018, Mississippi had a 43% turnout. 2020, Mississippi had a 60% turnout. Whoa. So, now Mississippi, Mississippi in 2022, it's a 31% turnout. Tennessee, 33.6% turnout way lower than 2018, 44% turnout, 2020, 59% turnout. And then let's get Alabama, Alabama, 37% turnout. In 2018, it's a 47% turnout. In 2020, it was 62% turnout. That's like half of what, half of the turnout of past elections. West Virginia, our neighbor, 34% turnout. Lower than 2018, 42% turnout. 2020, 57% turnout. Let's look at New Jersey, our other neighbor, 40% turnout. Whoa. Lower than 2018, which was a 52% turnout. Lower than 2020, which was a 71% turnout. Mm -hmm. I say that because I- Did you just do, um, did, did you do Michigan in Wisconsin? No, I can though. Oh, I'm just, you know, if you did not, I don't want to. I mean, I, can, I have it on my computer, oh. I think. Because these were states, uh, that would challenge in 2020, you know what I'm saying? Okay. That had very close presidential races. Okay, I can pull it up. 
this. This is very revealing. <laughs> did anybody here vote? Yeah. Yes. I did. Michigan. Okay, so Michigan is. But what it said to me was that this, I think Pennsylvania had high turnout because billions of dollars were being flushed oh, yeah. into the state. That's what it showed me. Because look at the states, Mississippi, New Jersey, West Virginia. It's the voter turnout is low. It's like, that's more natural, I think. Mm -hmm. That's more of a natural organic turnout mm -hmm. because not a lot of money is being put there. Mm -hmm. Like everyone, the Democrat National Party, the Republican National Party, even to a certain extent, everyone is, Flushing the state with money, yeah. um, which is why I think it's I think it's good, yeah, that you want me to look at the other states. Yeah, Wisconsin, Michigan, so Philadelphia had a big turnout. No, 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 no. It was it was ten points below the statewide turnout, but we'll get back to that in a minute. It's okay, very so interesting. Michigan, Michigan had a sixty percent turnout. Okay, very interesting. With team? Six, six of mm -hmm. 60 turnout with 2018 their 2018 and 2020 turnout being like being 57 percent and 73 percent so that's mm -hmm. i mean that's also a state that gets mm -hmm. a ton of money what was the other state you want me to look wisconsin. at wisconsin okay wisconsin was a 60 percent turnout as well oh yeah the stakes were high yeah. like and so that's like the point i wanted to make was that money what you were yeah. saying money's definitely a factor mm -hmm. And even with all that money, the races were far closer, like are, were far closer than people would expect. With like Democrats giving so much money um, to candidates in places like Pennsylvania. But the other point I wanted to make was that, was there's an article in the New York Times that said, interestingly, like comparing, let's compare Pennsylvania and New York. Mm -hmm. In Pennsylvania, the Democrats in Pennsylvania did better than even Biden did in 2020 with every competitive house race in Pennsylvania going to the Democrats. Mm -hmm. And Fetterman actually won, apparently Fetterman won by a wider margin than Biden won Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. That's Pennsylvania. But then across the border in New York, which is actually like, if you go to upstate Pennsylvania, it's exactly, to me, it's exactly like upstate New York. Mm -hmm. Like you wouldn't even realize you're crossing border lines. Like it's very similar, like industries of very similar culture, people, like it's all like pretty rural white people who like fly Confederate flag, even though they're still above the Mason-Dixon line. That's another thing. In New York, Republicans did better than Trump did in 2020. Mm -hmm. So in New York, which is overall seen as a blue state, they won all but one of their seven competitive races. And the in Republicans a, won yes, all. Yes, Republicans won they flipped, all. They, they, flipped flipped. they flipped four races. And for the governor election, which is always overwhelmingly blue, like they face a really competitive race where people are stressed out that a Republican might win New York. Cause New York is notorious. Like New York city usually outweighs all the rest of the state of New York. So that's just showing, it's showing you that it's not simple. Like 2020, the 2022 election shows that there's like a dead, there's a serious deadlock with neither side, especially Democrats, never knowing if they're actually gonna pull it off. Like the Democrats were like, we hope the abortion rights messaging works. Mm -hmm. We hope like we're mm -hmm. right in thinking that, like we hope we're investing in the right places. It's like no one's completely sure how the American people are gonna vote mm -hmm. because the American people may not have clarity entirely, but they're definitely clear on the fact 
that they are not going, they're going to vote how they want to vote. They're uncontrollable. Like no one is in touch with the American, no one completely knows. Okay, so now let me go into the breakdown of, let me go into the breakdown of nationally, because I can get the stats for Pennsylvania, who voted, like who voted. So, so for white, I'll go, I'll go through white people first. So 18, so young, young white people, 18 to 30, 18 to 44 years old, men, 12%, composed, we're 12% of the overall voters. 18 to 44 year old. Of the overall voters or 12% of them voted? As well, Probably overall. Overall. Yeah. overall, okay. And then, and then for, it's the same thing for 18 to 44 year old white women, 12%. Mm -hmm. For over 45 year olds, white men, 22%. Mm -hmm. Over 45 year olds, women, 25%. Mm -hmm. Okay, now black. Young black people. So eight, when I say young, it's 18 to 44 years old. So young <laughs> black men, 2%, composed of 2% of people who voted. Okay, now let's, let's just, I mean, just to refine it. Now, overall, in, in the whole national pop, um, uh, population, black males constitute about 6% okay. of the population. So they were one third of the vote so they you could even argue they oh. underperformed yes you see what I'm saying? Okay. like if you take pencil if you take philadelphia 45 percent turnout but if you take uh just on the, if you extrapolate from the national numbers okay. you know if you say that uh, uh and black men are far larger part of the philadelphia population okay, okay. than they are of the national population right. So if black men, and I'm not saying this is necessarily the case, let's say they they were five percent of the overall vote in Philadelphia, that is still a major underperformance. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I just wanted to. Oh no, that's, yeah, thanks yeah, for that. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to and then that. for young black women, also two percent. So this is why age. I think age becomes really interesting. Yeah. Okay, now let's say older black folk, so mm -hmm. above forty-five years old, <laughs> men, three percent. They're three percent. They were constituted three percent of like the voting whole voting seniors. Their makeup. Yes. Their makeup an echelon. I'm a I mean, echelon. Mm -hmm. I'm just going on my own experience. You know, yeah. when I go out that door, and I work for women, 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 and then women. So yeah. for Older black women, four percent. Yeah, and it's so it's overall young black people. So for young black men, young black women, two percent for both. Men, three percent. Women, four percent. So like, I even think there's a picture. There's something in that too. And like, just from canvassing, like Alice and I, we canvass as part of my work. Southwest Philly, like this is like 53rd Street, so like proper Southwest. It's like I think that's like a good main. There's an economic corridor there too. Um, very residential, very much like that is supposed to be part of the stable black working class. Absolutely. And like I have a bunch of union members who also live there. Um, you could hear, you would see women like women were the ones at home with the kids like grandkids mm -hmm. sitting on the porches mm -hmm. naturally even before alice and i would knock on their doors they'd be talking to each other you can hear them talking over the porches saying did you vote yet i voted like you know they're talking about the election they think it's important but then you see it's like 
black older black men in particular they're walking the streets mm -hmm. and they're much more there's a sense of like distrust too quieter like when i'm like when i'm into like when i'm walking around it's a sort of distrust and it's not to me i felt like first of all i don't know where young black people are and then secondly there's there's a difference in i think the i think gender really plays a role in voting too yes um okay i just wanted to give a picture of like the race, gender, age breakdown. Mm -hmm. Like it's not perfect data, mm -hmm. but to give a sense of the picture. And then I wanted to also report, my last thing is reporting back on exit polls because I was really interested in these exit polls. Mm -hmm. Exit polls, like when people leave the voting booth, all these different like newspapers or whatever will interview a series of questions like, hey, can you like answer some questions about why you voted for mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Something stood out to me. One question from an exit poll, this is Wall Street Journal, which I'm really into nowadays, by the way. <laughs> I just think it's kind of, they're talking about some interesting things, but the New York Times aren't. Um, one question was, do you expect life for the next generation of Americans to be, and then answer, better, 20% said better, 58% said worse, 22% said same. And that's like, that's total numbers. It's not by Democrat, Republican, anything. And the other thing I want to say is, no matter how much the news or different institutions, organizations, unions, whatever, want to make things seem like red wave fell apart, blue, like blue is strong, working people are Americans, working people want to protect democracy, vote Democratic, whatever, no matter how much people are trying to make it about Republicans, Democrats, one is that within the Democrats, within the Republicans, it's not, they're not unified. There's especially, it's breaking apart. Tulsi Gabbard, leaving the Democratic Party, Republican side, it's split. Yes. It's very split. And then two is that the American people, it's not, it's not about party lines at all. There's a different, there's a when you when I read some of these exit polls, you'll see there's people are voting not by party line, people are voting by like how they're feeling, what's going on in their lives. Like there's it's not, so it doesn't matter how much the DNC, the RNC wants to make it seem like. Like this is a side thing. No, it's a deadlock. It's a deadlock on the election level. But when you go to the ground, when you listen, when you see some of the data from the exit polls, it's different. People are voting by like issues. Like it's actually pretty unified along certain things. Mm -hmm. So here's one thing. Question, inflation. What inflate people, there's a poll about what is the single most important factor that you voted by in the election? And then they asked, was it inflation? 51% 51% said yes inflation is the single most important factor in the election with everything else being a lower percentage like 12 13% whatever what the percentage 51% oh, 57 my hand 57 57% mm -hmm. my hand bad um okay and then and now let's go more into the economic ground which costs in this inflationary period are most important to you and you're most worried about here's the sad this like made me really sad like here, the different things were like prescriptions, food, gas, like all that stuff, right? And all of those are important. Like all of those like are very basic important things in everyday life. 47% said groceries, yeah. food, that they're worried about food. And then the second highest was gas, 16%. And that's the second highest, 16%. So that's showing you 
overwhelming majority of people, they're just worried about food up front. When I go, I'm sorry, when I go in the morning, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. let it continue. Okay, a few more. Sorry, Derek, a few more exit polls. Okay, the other thing was Biden. So the questions about how do you feel about Biden? So one question was, do you think Biden is trustworthy? 54% across party lines, 54% said no. Do you think Biden is a strong leader? 65% said no. Do you think Biden cares about people? Do you think Biden cares about people like you? 53% said no. Do you think Biden has the mental capacity to serve? 57% said no. 77% of people polled, 77% said they think the economy is not good or in poor shape, with 54% saying it's because of Biden's policies. So like, I wish I could have like sifted through some of these exit polls more, especially since like after hearing, like you described the landscape doc, but those are the things like for me, like it helped me make sense of like, at first after the elections on Tuesday, I was just sad because I was like, are the American people like, how come they're not voting against the Democrats? Like, why, why is there like, why is their feelings of like despair not coming across? But the thing is, is like, it's more, it's deeper than that. Like, it's, it's not as simple as the way I was expecting it to be. And some of the data and like the exit polls, what people are concerned about, like the, it helps me explain like the calculated, like the calculated decisions they're making. And yeah, it's the calculated decisions they're making. And then also on the like whole US level, like nationwide, also showing that really like there's money, like the difference in investment of like just the sheer amount of money going to very specific states. So that money oftentimes overdetermines, will completely balance out what people really feel or think. Oh, yeah. So those are like those are the, that was the data I wanted to report back on to help complete the picture of what you're saying. Can I just say something? Because there is the objective conditions of people, you know, the poverty, the you know, unemployment, inflation, but then there's a subjective uh, condition. Mm -hmm. That is what people see, what they think. And I, I agree with your first, where you put it, money in an election, one-day election, can over-determine outcomes mm -hmm. if it's focused, as you pointed out. Mm -hmm. I just, I didn't mean to. Yeah, that's it. Mm -hmm. Okay, go ahead, Derek. You well, I was just saying something. <laughs> when I might say I'm out doing a field report, everyday struggle for seniors, and if you got grandkids, children, mm -hmm. Those two, those two polls make you think about it's not just your age, but where places of that. As you talk about having food and going shopping and all the things that I talk to, that I interact with not just my neighborhood, but just because I interact with I have other family members that are older than me mm -hmm. and they ages. But just having that kind of report, you, you can't just walk that down. It's not like you're looking at a blind side and not really having that feeling that this is information that's between individuals and collectively going from family members, because everybody got to eat and, <laughs> and, and, and expenses of everything. You know, and so it makes it, it makes the struggle drastic for a lot of people. Yes. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, y'all as individuals and students, the effect of it has has driven y'all to the free school. The effects <laughs> of the momentum 
of the crisis, even if you say you don't have the temperature, it, it y'all responded because you felt the feeling and the ill of it, and yeah. you felt the uh, it's not it's not a weak robust feeling. It's a very robust force of feelings. You want to eat collectively. You try to live together. That's hard too. For students to mass together to kind of keep apartments and share heating and all that, all that I have learned, not just from a field report, but the, of what I feel from y'all as individuals, because some point a lot of this energy of what we're talking about, it drove y'all to go in a certain direction, not straight, but so many crevices and holes and things you can't even believe that I'm not going to say I had a discussion with you. But y'all responses, I'm responding from. Um, I had to spend, you might spend years where you have to find a place where you can just sit in a refuge. This is like a refuge almost, like some between like refugees, where you, nobody, nobody mediated your crisis in school and career. Nobody mediated the crisis in India or all of the flashpoints that African American people go through. Every one of these. Um, um, it's impregnable to get inside of what we even talking about as a discussion. Yeah. This is the only place that in the refuge since I was born up, coming to the Church of Advocate, I already know that the advocate word for the advocate always been in me. Not because it's called the Church of the Advocate. This is the advocacy of like what I'm speaking to y'all about. Because it's not easy to give this voting report when you don't, I worked in Poland, I worked in Poland for four years. I went inside that booth and helped hundreds of people from every country in the area that I worked in. And my family member, we all said that we didn't orchestrate this. I went in that booth and he said, oh, could you help this lady? The people that don't know, don't have the knowledge of, of even pulling the lever, not the lever, just that knowledge of going in that booth. That's not, you think that's something? No, that's something else to think about. And, and, and so, you know, your reports is almost Y'all are witnesses to your own condition. Like, do you want to be conditioned by the system? Or do you want to change the, your, con your condition inside of you so that not that you're going to run into people better informed? They got feelings of better informed than your feelings that you've only been here for a minute in your life so far. You know, you, and, and Derek, let me call on uh, you know, uh, Jerry. Yeah. So thank you. No, I mean, um, yeah, really, I appreciate the, the data that yeah. you read off yeah. because. In some ways, it's kind of like just subjectively, the results of the election are very fascinating. Like it could, it's like it's not simple, and there's like layers to it. And I think part of it is like even how we frame the discussion on the election. It's almost like it's not really we're trying to understand like is American democracy working or not, mm -hmm. which is how the the media portrays it, but more. What is the quality of the ideological relationships between the ruling class and the people yep. and other forces mm -hmm. in the society? Mm -hmm. And yeah. that is ultimately what I yeah. think you can get from looking at the election results. And yeah, yeah. And the, and what what role does money and that like the the millions upon millions of dollars that are poured into it? Because I think, yeah, like when the election night started, um like one of the first results that came out was Florida mm -hmm. and how that how Florida turned from like a battleground state it took like 20% mm -hmm. red mm -hmm. with DeSantis and that gets into a whole other thing with 
like the Trump movement, Ron DeSantis, the, the battle within the Republican Party. But I think to go back to the results that Emily was saying, it's interesting because in some ways it's like the American people, it's like they don't really expect the Democrats to even fix any of like the crises or issues that like whether, yeah, like inflation, the economy, all of that stuff. But also in some ways it's like, it, it does reflect the fact that they also don't really expect the Republicans to fix those issues either. And I think that was one of the, the reasons why like going into the election, many people thought like there is a historical pattern of like midterms are usually a referendum on like the ruling party or the party that's in power. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes if there's a negative approval of the current party in power, like there is with Biden, like usually that means that the opposing party will get voted in to like Congress and stuff. And so that has been the historical precedent. But I think what's interesting is that, yeah, so that was the expectation, but in some ways it's like the reason, I think part of the reason why the Republicans didn't do it well is because it's almost like one, I don't think the Republicans really presented a clear like message mm -hmm. to the American people because, of, because yeah. of the, it was a struggle within the because of the because of the the internal faction and division within right. the Republican right. Party right. over whether would the Trump movement continue to continue to actually dominate the Republican Party or would it be what the yeah like the sort of establishment GOP which mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. I've seen it described as like the Chamber of Commerce Party basically mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and I think in that context like I definitely underestimated this going into the election but in that context like it act it makes a lot of sense that voters would be hesitant to want to go towards that because it's like, like, yeah, is the Republican Party the Trump Party? Is it like the Mitch McConnell Party? Also, obviously, like, even objectively, the Trump people do seem like the most like, ex mm -hmm. like quote unquote extreme mm -hmm. on things like mm -hmm. January 6th and all that. And so I think I totally agree with this way of framing it. It's like also, yeah, people are making strategic calculated risks based on how they're understanding the situation, but in the context of also like this huge ideological yeah. struggle that's happening. Yeah. And um, and I think, yeah, I feel like the, the other interesting thing that's coming out of the election too is like, what is actually the state of the Trump movement itself? And I think, yeah, I, I feel like, one of the like sad like I don't know if it's like if I feel like that's sad about it but it is true that you've had what now like six years of the Trump movement or the Maga movement whatever you call it and objectively speaking because the, it's like the Trump movement has also suffered in part because not just be, like simultaneously because of the assault from the establishment whether it's within the GOP or from the overall like the, mm -hmm. the state, but also like you have to deal with the fact that the Trump movement is led by Trump. Mm -hmm. And I don't think any of us have ever expected that Trump himself would be like a principled leader in any way. But mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, you're also having to deal with the kind of um, the fact that they haven't really been able to make the kinds of 
moves that necessarily like the voter base that turned out for Trump in 2016 that they expected. And simultaneously at the same time, I think we also have to take seriously that it's like, I think it was, for me, the election was a good reminder that you can't underestimate the ruling class. No, that's right. <laughs> and I think, Very especially scary. after 2016, <laughs> I think that was a huge wake-up call, a galvanizing moment for specifically the ruling class itself. And you see that with how targeted like their campaigns are. Um, and um, just the fact that like, how they, where, where they pour money into, how they do the messaging, all of that stuff is them trying to basically um, to not go down without a fight. And yeah, and, and, and I think the timing is good because in, in our reading group, we were, we were like reading Black Reconstruction and mm -hmm. I read the, the chapter on the planter class, mm -hmm. the third chapter of that book. And um, I think one thing that Du Bois makes clear is that the yeah that the plantation owning class in the south basically that like their cause was essentially doomed because of their own in some way stupidity mm -hmm. and their own like lack inability to think logically mm -hmm. but also that ultimately mm -hmm. like that they went down like almost like guns blazing and mm -hmm. that was ultimately led to their destruction and if you look at things in the context of yeah like the global situation it's like in some ways, you know, people look at America as like, you know, like late stage capitalism, advanced <laughs> capitalism. But actually, when you think about it, America, like the ruling class in America represents something which is almost like out of time with where the rest of humanity is moving. <laughs> and it's like in that context, it's like, yeah, the American ruling class is in some ways like trying desperately to cling on and they are going to use every means at their disposal in order to cling on. And and I think this reflection or this election is like one sort of manifestation of that mm -hmm. sort of struggle. But like the danger is is that essentially, yeah, that the American ruling class will go down and basically like start like a third world war because of their like struggle to cling on to in a global sense. Um, like sort of this global hegemonic power. And I think, yeah, that's part of the, I don't know. I don't know if it's disappointment, but it's like, yeah, especially with the Trump movement, like you would wish that a moment like this in an ideal world would, would also serve as a wake up call in that it's like, okay, either, either the Trump movement and Trump himself actually like rises to the occasion <laughs> or it's like, like yeah, what do you what do you have to offer the American people other than just like you know the kind of reaction against like woke politics? Like, is that ultimately going to be like what the Trump movement stands for, or is it actually going to go hard on this message of like war and peace, which is like the fundamental issue, which is also like where there was ultimately a lack of any clear messaging from the GOP because like at least half, if not more than half, of the GOP is committed to like the war agenda with the Democrats. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think it, it's like, it's a moment of like crisis in many ways, but also I think, yeah, the interesting, one of the interesting things is like the crisis of like the Trump movement itself. And like, where are we after six years? And like, where did, and like, can it move forward? What, like, what will be the quality of this movement if it moves forward? Yeah. Go ahead, Marie. Thank you.
when you've been saying the Gramsci quote, like kind of over the last few weeks, like the old is dying, but the new can't yet be born. And yeah, I think when we were reading the planter class chapter of Black Reconstruction, it shows that basically like that class was clinging on past its time. And so it made sense for it to die, for something new to be born. But I think one of the differences between the planter class and the ruling class of today is that the planter class like did not, I don't know, like I don't think they had like the knowledge or the interest in truly knowing in order to govern the people. They were really just interested in like consumption and like maintaining their place, but they weren't clever about manipulating people or the economy or like bending things to their will. Whereas I think this ruling class is, but I think one of the reasons why it was confusing coming out of the election was that the data had not been published because they were still counting the votes. All you had was the election result, which was, oh, like this Democratic Party like won this, like they won that. But the exit polls and the actual like county, like city breakdown, I think is much more important because like people have been saying the election in some ways like reflects something but the struggles and the thoughts of the people like continue way beyond this election. <laughs> and I think what's interesting to us is actually more, yeah, like who voted, who did not vote? What are the people thinking in the exit polls? But for the media and the way that they're covering it, they, I don't think will want to go as far into that because the way that it has been pitched is like, oh, the Democrats magically won. Like, this is great for us. Mm -hmm. Like we did a great job. Like actually people maybe like Biden more than like they think that they do. <laughs> and like, no, it is very much like, oh, could it be that Biden is actually the most successful president? Like defend the midterms? <laughs> and like that's actually a lot of the stories that are coming out. And so I think I like hearing the data that you presented, Emily, made me think about how not to interpret this election mm -hmm. and how once again, like I think going into the election, we were pretty clear on how the ruling class is out of touch with the people and doesn't actually understand how they think. And so, yeah, I think this election victory has a lot to do with money and like basically chance, like the fact that it could have gone either way yeah. and that you threw in all this money into like specific states where Pennsylvania was basically the state to watch. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's not like you see satisfaction in the exit polls and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think just the, the difficulty in interpreting the election because it basically is the location where the people in the ruling class like are struggling in a way like to express their will um yeah but the turnout results are really interesting in terms of how they actually broke down by state because i feel like given given like what you see on the national news like you would expect voter turnout in general to be lower and so I'm, I'm really interested to like dig more into the data as it continues to be released, like which populations or which demographics overvoted, like undervoted, mm -hmm. and like what issues you think are driving like those particular votes, because I think you probably can break it down. And that's one of the slightly convenient things, which is that when you first started talking, you were talking about how the ruling class is trying to conveniently divide mm -hmm. races and classes. So each race and class is a particular issue mm -hmm. that you can just message to. But I think it'll be interesting to see like whether that worked or like to what extent, because yeah, given I guess the crisis in like the Republican Party and like in the Democratic Party, there is a realignment happening and to see like which demographics are being courted um, for what reasons and then also like the extent to which people actually like buy that. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
I just add one thing. Like also on like the whole abortion thing, mm -hmm. one way that it could be interpreted is that obviously, yeah, like some people care about abortion, but it's almost like if you look at the grand scheme, like, yes, the thing that people are suffering from most is inflation and crime. Like those are like the things that are like most actively impacting like the life world and well-being of like most Americans. But if you look at it from the standpoint of at this point, most Americans don't think that either party can do anything to actually solve those problems. Then it's like, oh, okay, if I'm going to vote, I may as well vote for like whichever party I think can actually affect like at least like one like relatively like smaller issue, even though that that issue may be kind of mm -hmm. like appear as like the most important. It's almost like they're like the voters are saying like, I don't think that either party can do anything about inflation, the economic crisis or like or yeah crime and violence and so i'm just going to vote with what i think is actually like like maybe i can have some yeah. impact on like if abortion laws are yeah. in are passed in like my state or something mm -hmm. cool. yeah i was just thinking that very very interesting discussion i was struggling to understand what happened in the <laughs> elections but this conversation is very the poison i mean like you know how you try and make sense of something like you know, election results without really understanding where the people are, are at. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a very, there are two different kinds of ways you can view this. One view is what I hear when I go to work at mm -hmm. the University of Pennsylvania and there's a discussion about the election results there, which is just like, like some of you have been saying, oh, you know, we've managed to do it. We've, there was this task that we had to do, get you know, the Democrats to win mm -hmm. and we managed to do it. But what consequences it has on the, you know, vast majority of people who are mm -hmm. concerned about food, who are concerned about gas is not something that ever comes in the purview of, you know, the method they use to analyze the election results. And it's like, you know, of course, numbers are important, like, you know, who, which, what was the demographic that voted mostly Republican and here, but that's a little more to the numbers, like Emily was saying, what is it that this group actually um, cared about when they made this decision? You know, whether the Roe versus Roe v. Wade thing having come so in, in you know, in very recently, uh, just before this election, whether it was like an overplaying of the hand by the on the part of the Republican Party and all of that. I just feel like, you know, the methodology that you use mm -hmm. to analyze where the people are at, mm -hmm. um, you know, has that law and chance element that, mm -hmm. that, the, that the boy says is essential to understand a people. And that's not something like when you read, when you try to get some understanding of what happened in the elections by just reading news articles they're just like oh you know the republicans didn't do as well as they had hoped and all it just it doesn't give you an understanding of what's going on and that the fact that it represents much more than oh 55 percent votes here 57 percent much more than just numbers when you i really appreciate the breakdown uh, it's very clarifying um uh, Albert Einstein said that um, the language of the universe is differential equations, mm -hmm. and you know, like like for about this. Did you say that again? Einstein said what? The, the language of the universe is differential equations. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. You know, meaning basically, uh, 
the universe can be expressed in rates of change and what we're talking about is the uh forces mm -hmm. of society that didn't that we didn't see were under the surface or under the current mm -hmm. until the midterm and that's why this discussion is really uh helpful for me because all we I've just been ignoring the media and just waiting for free school to <laughs> uh, talk about the results because I'm, I'm tired of filtering through the nonsense. But um, yeah, there are all, all sorts of um, interesting trends that people didn't predict or were not analyzing that have now come up and affected uh, politics in a really concrete way and I guess it was a pretty good week for the establishment because you know the Russians withdrew and um, this midterm happened and the Republicans didn't get a schlacking and um, um, but it, it, uh, it reminds me I know people are reading uh, Black Reconstruction uh, you sometimes say that the Black working class is the is the working class that it's becoming and um, du, du Bois talks about how even though Black people are a minority in the country, that they decide the country's future because the white community is so divided, so fractured with the way we're talking about you know, Republican and Democratic leadership. Even within the party, those forces are the white you know, establishment is really divided. Um, but the Black working class has the opportunity, uh, you know, in its unity to decide the course that the country takes, and, you know, that opportunity is still on the table, it seems. Mm -hmm. And um, I saw Black Panther, too, because I wanted to spend time with a friend, and there really is that, um, you know, I was thinking about what you, Doc, were saying in the beginning about, uh, you know, Black womenism. And um, uh, sort of the the aesthetic, there is like this aesthetic, you know, in the theater, the type of people who go where they wear HBCU, uh, you know, hoodies and, you know, Black Lives Matter gear. And um, it's like, it's pushed on by all of Hollywood, this sort of uh, Black girl magic mm. aesthetic. Um, yeah. And, um, yeah, even uh, what, I, what I wanted to bring up lastly was, uh, you know, Emil Carver Brawls um, mm -hmm. said, you know, tell no lies, claim no easy victories. If a village comes to you and asks for aid and you say, well, you know, we can't offer it and they decide to leave, you know, let them leave. It's better than to tell them, oh, yeah, we'll take care of you. Mm -hmm. And then to be, you know, distrusted later on, uh, you know, the struggle is a long one and you know I remember you back in 2015 talking about uh Trump and uh you know you used to come to all the events like uh you used to come to the women's events the Palestine events you know if it was something about the stadium outside of you know uh what was that building called um I haven't been there in so long Cornwall Cornwall Hall and um you know there was a big uh, flip that happened in 2015-2016 and I guess we're still you know it's still happening this flip uh, that we're observing this, this trend um, this um, 
this mathematical variable that will at the end of the day mm -hmm. be the primary contradiction mm -hmm. um, that'll make a difference. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. If I could just say one small thing about uh, calculus and differential equations. Mm -hmm. It's always, and it's the study of incrementals. And, um, you know, that's why calculus cannot be used finally to explain mm -hmm. uh, great historical moments where you have not just incremental, but qualitative change of quality. Mm -hmm. So that's, uh, go ahead. Uh, yeah, I guess um, when I think of large swaths of money being used in an electoral process, I don't just, in my mind, what doesn't just come up is how people are manipulated to vote a certain way, but how the process itself could be mm -hmm. compromised. Mm -hmm. And yeah, uh, I mean, we, this has been talked on both sides. I mean, the whole discussion about um, voting for democracy is, uh, you know, take from the Democrats saying that the election has been compromised. And of course, the Republicans mm -hmm. have been saying for a long time that the, the 2020 election was compromised. And now we have in this particular midterm, I don't think that voting has been finished counting in Nevada or Arizona. Both places were supposed to be kind of stronghold Trump supported candidates um, where uh, a third of the polling um, centers went down. I think in Nevada, they ran out of ballots. Uh, so it's just kind of interesting that these things are still kind of propping up. On the other side, you see a DeSantis who kind of runs away with it in Florida, mm -hmm. which if we're thinking about this divide in the Republican Party, that's an interesting thing to happen there where you have a more corporately aligned figure who's way more interested in, in wars of regime change, or at least he's not making a public statement as much as Trump is, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, going against these kind of uh, narratives. So it, it is an interesting um, moment that if, you know, the GOP were interested in, in reclaiming the party of war, uh, they could point to say, hey, look, DeSantis won and all these Trump candidates, you know, Carrie Lake, she, you know, I mean, she's still supposed to win, right? Because that, that's a, the polling is, has stated and they stopped counting, you know, as soon as she started to get very close to the lead there. But of course, Oz lost and a lot of other Trump supportive figures lost. And um, I don't know, I just think that's a part of the dynamic that's, I don't think anyone who's who's voting in this general population really takes I think a lot of people are voting with a grain of sand and that a grain of salt thinking, thinking that mm -hmm. like, I hope this is going <laughs> where it's going, but I don't really have ultimate firm belief in this kind of casino style uh, democracy, you know, because if they're really going to spend that much money, do you think they're going to play fair? Like why, why would they play fair with that kind of money? That's a silly thing for anyone to believe, I think. Um, so I don't, I'm not trying to say, cast out in the entire thing but but i think it's a part of the dynamic that's involved in the in the lack of faith that i think you talked about across the board in these other states of uh not as not a high turnout um but i was also interested to see what uh jahan might have to say if jahan's still um he's in pittsburgh um, might have a, a little bit of a different understanding of what that part of the state was going through um, yeah i'd like to comment if i can can you hear me yes uh -huh. All right. Yeah. I'm so glad to join you today. Thank you, Emil and Emily, for connecting me. I apologize for any audio problems. I'll try to work on them if I'm reinvited next week. <laughs> but uh... <laughs> yeah. anyway, uh, so uh, uh, so I had a few things I wanted to say. I mean, first about uh, Western Pennsylvania. 
Um, actually, Pittsburgh elected a new member of the squad, this uh, African-American woman who's a part of DSA named uh, Summer Lee. And uh, the way that race was framed was they were saying that there's a lot of outside uh, Republican money. I think they even claim money associated with APAC was entering the race against her in the primary. Um, but the I don't know. I mean, it's a bit confusing and complicated what's happening because there's also a narrative that Democrats were spending money through dark channels to support quote unquote extreme Republican candidates. So, I mean, the money is always dark and you can't really uh, follow where it's coming from and you can't trust the media, how they're spinning uh, that situation with the money. Um, and uh, so I mean, just also anecdotally here, there's a, similar to what you're saying about out there, there's a lot of money being spent for Fetterman and for Shapiro everywhere you see signs and ads and rallies and so on. But um, as far as uh, I think a major part of the story uh, nationally, as well as in Pennsylvania, is the struggle within the Republican Party and crisis within the Republican Party. Because, for example, um, Mastriano was like total the entire Republican Party apparatus was extremely hostile towards him. So he was fighting like a two way battle, uh, you know, within the party and against the Democrats and the mainstream media. And that also had a very negative effect on uh, Oz's race, that kind of uh, battle on both sides. And uh, but the way Trump himself is responding to this on his social media network, I mean, he's saying that out of 235 candidates that he endorsed, personally endorsed, 219 won. I mean, those are predominantly House races. Like, obviously, that number is including House and Senate. So the Senate is would be one candidate, like, for example, Oz, but would have more significance than several House candidates. But nonetheless, so he's, you know, he's claiming that for himself, it was a successful night, but he's also blaming the uh, Republican Party leadership. And on that note, um, I'm reading that there's actually uh, news is reporting that there's going to be challenges within the Republican Party, both in the Senate and the House, uh, against the leadership who many of the Trump-aligned candidates blame for botching the election and this opportunity. Also, I mean, we talked before about how the on the House side, Kevin McCarthy, who's a Republican leader, said that if the Republicans control the House, they'll cut off funding for Ukraine. But I didn't hear any similar statement from the Mitch McConnell, the Senate leader. And I think that also is something that probably hurt their uh, Senate candidates. Uh, additionally, well, uh, Emil mentioned Arizona. I just saw this morning that the Democratic Senate candidate, Mark Kelly, is declaring victory in the Arizona race. And uh, Arizona, there are a lot of uh, irregularities. In fact, the Democratic governor candidate is the secretary of state of Arizona in charge of the counting. Uh, and similarly, in Nevada, there's still doing the counting, a lot of irregularities. Some of you might have seen that uh, Tucker Carlson said that, uh, you know, Arizona and Nevada, the officials said they're prepared to work until Thanksgiving, even Christmas to count the ballots. But Tucker was like, you know how long it took to count the midterm election ballots of 1862? One week. <laughs> and so in comparison, it's uh, very suspicious that this is taking so long. I also wanted to ask um, Doc or anyone else about this uh, whole phenomenon of mail-in ballots, because some of the um, analysts like Tucker are talking about how mail-in ballots have totally changed the whole phenomenon of elections, because 
where the bulk of people would vote on election day after they saw, for example, debates and everything, then they would make their decision. Now people are make that decision two to three months before the election. Um, and in Pennsylvania, Fetterman delayed the debate until like the very, you know, the very end. So most people were not really able to see him or the condition he was in until election day. Um, so that's one factor. And also, uh, I think Danny had commented about the in the Facebook comments about the swing of young black voters, according to the Wall Street Journal, up to 20 percent uh, towards Republicans. Similarly, I read Breitbart reported that nationally there was a 40 percent increase of Latino voters to the Republican Party from the 2018 midterms. So I think some of those statistics are significant. But I think, again, a main part of this is the struggle between the Trump movement and the Republican uh, establishment and the Democratic establishment. And I would agree with Jeremiah that you can see a lot of contradictions and weaknesses and stumbling in the way that Trump has handled this whole thing. But nonetheless, I think that's still where the main uh, struggle is happening uh, in the political arena. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Sorry, that was quick. Um, so go ahead, so go ahead uh, Jerry. Yeah, I can just read some of the comments, yeah. including some of Danny's, like, yeah, uh, yeah. Sites, but um, Renee St. Aubin said earlier, thank you for discussing the results of the election. I look forward to the free school every week. It's so informative and insightful. That's uh, a nice comment. But um, yeah, Danny had a few comments citing some articles saying, one that says that most voters don't want Biden to run again, mm -hmm. which is kind of counterfactual to how the media is portraying it, which is like, <laughs> this is great evidence that Biden should run again. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, the other interesting one that, that Danny shared is a Wall Street Journal exit poll about the war and peace divide. And so I'm not going to read all the figures that he cites, but they had these exit poll questions about should the United States take a more or less active role in solving the world's problems? And um, those who voted that, who said that America had taken a more active role in like quote unquote solving the world's problems was actually the lowest percentage. So that was 26%. Um, and of that percentage, uh, 54 were Democrats or Democrats. And then those who said a less active role, so the US should be less active in solving the world's problems. That was the largest proportion of uh, 40%, and of those, 70% are Republicans. Yeah. Um, so the overwhelming majority of people who think that the U.S. should play a less active role in the world are Republicans. And then those who said like that it's about right currently are 34%, and then 67, 66% of those are Democrats. And then specifically on Ukraine, should the U.S. be more or less active in aiding Ukraine in its war with Russia? Um, 27, again, this, the lowest percentage of people were those who think that America should be more active in supporting Ukraine. And of those, 55% are Democrat. And then those who think that America should be less active in supporting Ukraine um, were 32%. And of those, 72% are Republicans. Um, and then, yeah, he also shared, um, yeah, that Wall Street Journal poll that said, Young black voters moved 22 percent points towards Republicans in 2022, which means that probably I, I guess like the the highest like move towards the Democrats was amongst white people, like that white people were actually key in sort of yeah. pushing this midterm towards the Democrats. And um, okay, who's sharing some more things? Um, but yeah, I don't know, just some interesting information, especially on the war peace question that 
those who are in favor of basically imperial retreat are the are the Democrats. Yeah, actually, if you look at if you look at the Philly, so Philly did a pretty good job showing the map of wards and divisions and the wards of turnout. And like just visually speaking, so blue, they'll show wards and divisions right. in blue for have have past 50% voter turnout. Uh, right. And then like this like copper tone will be like less than 50%. Okay. And if you look at the city, visually speaking, the blue, so people who are turning out to vote, it's literally exactly what you would expect. Mm -hmm. It's like the areas where like basically rich people live, yeah, like Center like, City, yeah. Rittenhouse, yeah. like whatever. And then when you reach, let's say, like Cobbs Creek, North Philly, like Cobbs Creek, North Philly, above like the Spring Garden area, mm -hmm. like what was North um, up I, that area? West Oak Lane, East Oak Lane, Germantown, Mount area, that whole big. I would need to show you the map because I don't know the <laughs> geography. That's map. But it's, it's most of North Philly and even like I actually think Germantown and like Mount Airy and stuff is pretty like turnout was above fifty blue. But I think most of like what I just thought was North Philly, like all that huge stretch up to north up north and then west like once you reach Hobbs Creek and especially southwest and then Grace Ferry uh -huh. Point Breeze area yeah. is very much low turnout like considered lower uh -huh. it's like about less than 50 percent it's yes. anywhere from 40 percent 30 percent and even that difference I felt like said something about who's turning out to vote do you have a college degree or not do you don't like do you not have a college degree or not mm -hmm. like how like I feel like and it did just, it'd be interesting to also see like who, I didn't look too much into these exit polls, but they did do exit polls of like, if you're a Democrat, if you consider yourself a Democrat, do you have a college degree or not? Do you blah, 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 or not? How much do you make? And the same thing with Republicans. I didn't look that deep into it. But some of us watched the election result and we were watching the, we were switching between Fox News and CNN. And on Fox News, they were doing, they like did a huge segment on Florida because like Florida is basically a red state now. And but they talked about Miami Dade. They said in Miami Dade for the first time, a huge majority of Black voters and Latino voters are going red. Like they've officially left the Democratic Party. Wow. And Miami Dade was a very contested city. You know, it's like you don't know which way I'll turn. But this time it's like up front, black and brown, like they're heading, they're heading red. Wow. Yeah. Well, um, I'll say one thing about King. Quickly, let's say one thing about King. Since this momentum of of the King, what I call the soul of the a soul of a nation and the person, how we learn about how I learned about King, how y'all learn about King. This this is a, another kind of phenomenon. For me, it reaches into the equation that. Uh, the brother here spoke about, mm -hmm. and and um, it's a letter that I read that I that came letter of his letter from Paul. Okay. It's not just his letter from Paul, yeah. and this is a real honest way of the religious feeling that generates through this country, mm -hmm. and not to think that this feeling is not real. Mm -hmm. Now, not not only that that I had to look into, but um, the um, letters by Billy Graham. Even even when I went to cross reference to Farrakhan, mm -hmm. I had to go through three different kinds of dimensions to, to, to verify when a country is not being recommended, but the country is kind of being told and warned all of these phenomenal things that we are witnessing, the divisions and the breakups and this all the, the most horrific things that King and King 
had spoke to to Billy Graham. It's not easy to listen to Billy Graham over for a decade, but I had to sit back for a couple of weeks to get the kind of feeling that this letter that Paul, that, that King wrote, and he, as he's addressing this nation and many nations, but he, he still was given a letter of support from Billy Graham, which, 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 um, which Farrakhan mentioned after I went through some more just as that Farrakhan had it, because you can't just make this kind of consensus without having the, the, the feelings that I'm speaking to you through, because it's, it's part of my political and religious feelings to be able to transfer or translate what that's like when it affects not just the soul of Black folks, but all people's types of souls that's on at the table. And so this is an important letter to look at when you're in your readings to, to remind yourself what Black Reconstruction meant for me. And, and it's not just one idea. It's a lot of ideas that call us together to inform us better. So you don't think that what you're speaking about in Black Reconstruction don't have anything to do with King and then this fourth revolution or this kind of contest of, of wills of this nation. You know, and I, and I brought Billy Graham in, but don't think that he's just something that just passed away because, because he was put in the ground or, or that the same thing of any of these types of individuals that I kind of look at and listen to because it takes a lot of reflection to pull these these older letters up, not just because they're biblical and not because they don't fit political situations. It's, it's, it's something that's cemented inside of y'all souls to have made this kind of statement for King to be looked at as a more powerful reference for our times. But he was actually speaking, he didn't care how far he went back. He was still bringing his, his, this letter forward to the future. Yeah. That's a letter from Paul yeah. to pull yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Paul's letter. That's to Paul's the, letter. Yeah, to to, the, to America. No, no, no. The, Paul, the, not to America. Paul's letter to the. Um, the Roman. No, I'm not no, talking about it's King. King has an King has an essay or sermon called Paul's letter to America. That's what I'm. Uh, that's what. Okay. That's what I'm referring to. Yeah. Yeah, the sermon. Yeah, I'm saying Paul's that's something. To America. Yeah. yeah, something to yeah. to look through and not to yeah. let it just pass yeah. through like that. That yeah. like it doesn't have any forward meaning. Yeah. And and very complex. As he spoke about how complex it's not just numbers. You can use numbers in the Bible if you want to say numbers, but it's just something more complex for myself to not wrestle with this kind of question about what are we going to do or what what have we been doing with our time. Okay, listen, folks. Maybe we'll um, skip over for the time being our discussion of the economy mm -hmm. and go right into our discussion. Kanye and Kyrie and so on. And uh, perhaps we, I know um, Emily has uh, some uh, essays and commentary, but perhaps we can turn it over to Johan uh, to kind of set the discussion up. Are you there, Johan? Yes, yes, yes. Would you mind um, just, um, you know, framing the discussion Sure. Um, so I was thinking about this as uh, Doc, you were giving your uh, opening. I mean, I think uh, that the situation uh, with uh, Ye and uh, Kyrie 
By the way, I think he legally changed his name to Ye or so I've read. So I'll refer to him as Ye. <laughs> but uh, uh, I think the situation with uh, both of them, you cannot remove from the political crisis, which we've just been talking about, uh, the economic crisis also, which we uh, have talked about. And so uh, I think I'm reading this very much as in that context associated uh, with that overall, basically a crisis of the elite. So the elite control over um, the American people, which includes the control over politics and economics. But what we'll talk about, I think in this section is the elite control over just thought, just thinking. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the central point. If you're to cut for me that I've taken out of this, if you've cut through all the smears, the slurs, the attempts to uh, bury uh, these two men uh, under a mountain of all these things. It's about mm -hmm. the fact that they want to repress any kind of uh, critical thought, any kind of, in which critical thought means breaking from the uh, elite liberal consensus, which goes back to the Democratic Party. Um, and uh, I, I mean, the real question that, first of all, uh, I would ask, I mean, if, if uh, Ye is so crazy and Kyrie is so crazy, then why are they afraid to debate them? Why don't they debate them? Why don't they expose them? <laughs> why is the thing about, what, why is it canceling? Why is it, because canceling is, is another word for suppression, mm -hmm. repression of people's uh, voices. Mm -hmm. And I mean, whatever, uh, I mean, Kyrie is a young, a young man. He's only been uh, in basketball for a few years, but Kanye has uh, you know, been involved in this game for a long time. And uh, I, what I'm picking up on him is a person who's quite, who's doing a lot of self-criticism as well. I think you've seen that in some of the clips. He's criticizing the music industry as someone who's been complicit in a lot of this. And um, uh, he, he talks about, I mean, in his, some of his remarks, he said a number of things. Uh, in addition to the criticism of uh, powerful uh, Jewish uh, people in the, in the record industry, He's criticizing Black Lives Matter for weaponizing the trauma of Black people, which I think is something very significant. He's criticizing uh, Hollywood for its conformity in its, uh, you know, devotion to the Democratic Party and attempts to uh, exclude anyone who challenges that consensus. Uh, similar to what uh, Doc was saying in the beginning, he's challenging this attack on Black men by uh, feminism and other things, which is, I mean, it's another way to conduct a racist attack. Um, and, uh, with Kyrie, I mean, all, uh, again, all he really did was, uh, tweet a documentary, which is available on prime and as, as it's been established and seeing some of his other um, videos and messages he's been talking about. I mean, he's been emphasizing this point, uh, that as a young person, as a millennial, he said, he's saying millennials have to do better. I saw a video where he said, millennials have to read. We have to turn to books. Reading is a superpower. Mm -hmm. Millennials have to turn to the old heads and learn from them. And uh, apropos of that, uh, Minister Farrakhan in his message said that uh, Kyrie talked about sharing knowledge, sharing a documentary yeah. right, that he found. He's searching for knowledge of the self. He wanted yeah. to share this with his brothers and sisters. And, you know, people can watch it and agree or disagree with the documentary. But he said, why are you, I think, the ruling elite upset with so angry about that? But if a young black man was like, had reefer and he's like, oh, this is good reefer. Let me share this with my friends. That's great. That's beautiful. <laughs> Something to be celebrated. Right. 
Right. Which I think is an excellent point. I mean, again, getting to the heart of this, they don't want him to be sharing knowledge. They don't want him to be sharing critical thinking. They don't want him to be encouraging this uh, uh, break with the consensus. And uh, so, again, I think I'm personally, you know, uh, watching their uh, videos, uh, reading what they've said, but also um, seeing on YouTube primarily. Uh, but also on other social media, other kind of uh, pockets like podcasts and, uh, you know, kind of alternative news channels that are either associated with basketball or with hip hop. I am mm -hmm. just seeing that there's a critical, there's a turn. This is for a lot of people, this is a turning point. I think especially for a lot of young men that follow and for better mm -hmm. or for worse, idealize these uh, mm -hmm. figures. There's, you know, a lot of these contradictions are being exposed for them, maybe for the first time. The fact that there is this uh, elite control over entertainment and uh, over sports and uh, that anyone who doesn't fall in line uh, is going to be a target in this way. I mean, the other point is, uh, you know, for example, with Black Lives Matter, they want to show this fake thing of, OK, we're woke. We want our athletes to speak out, but only speak out when it's something that's approved, you know, for example, by the, by the NBA commissioner or by the record industry executives or by Hollywood executives or by the Democratic Party, when it's approved by them, you can talk about Black Lives Matter. You can talk about <laughs> Uyghurs in China. You can talk about, you know, X, Y, Z. But when you go off script, you see them, you know, come down uh, with a quickness, like a ton of breaks, basically. <laughs> and... Uh, and you get you get called every word in the book. I mean, that's I mean, that's the height of hypocrisy that you get called racist. I mean, these black men are being called racist uh, by some of the most powerful people uh, in in the country. And then, yeah, I mean, I Doc established last week this whole humiliating thing of uh, apologizing with Kyrie. There's like five or six humiliating conditions they want him to do to be able to play again. Uh, <laughs> You know, like not a pu public apologies, give money, do sensitivity training, do this. Oh. It's, it's, you know, it's total insanity. And, and I'm, I'm also happy to see the Players Association is uh, responding. And, I, you know, I think that's a positive sign. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, just this thing of, 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 of rejection. Another thing that I saw that I think related to this is uh, back to the election. Um, Stacey Abrams in Georgia said mm -hmm. that... Uh, she felt she was losing, and I think she lost the election again mm -hmm. because of uh, black men being subject to quote unquote disinformation. Mm -hmm. And herself and others were like, "Oh, you know, I mean, you you met you gestured also towards uh, you know, oh, black men are misogynistic, patriarchal, open to the alt right, etc." So, but it goes back to this thing because with these two black men, you're seeing when they whenever they say someone is subject to disinformation again, that's code for saying they're subject to thinking critically. And that's what they're trying to uh, stamp down on. So, I mean, I think those are those those are the central points for me. I mean, we you know we can tie it to uh, the kind of stuff that's been put out. We talked about BLM, Kendi, all this horrible culture. It's all I think a turning point away from that. People saying and signaling publicly that no matter what the consequences, they're willing to turn away from that. And it's you know it's not about that. We're sitting here and defending every word that Ye said. Or, you know, but it's I mean, we're defending his right to think independently and not to go not to be humiliated for doing so. 
So I, I, I mean, I'm optimistic in the sense that I, I see this whole thing as a breaking point, a turning point. And uh, I think, you know, the free school can play a big role in connecting these dots and, you know, uniting people uh, across these different groups. Because even with celebrities, I mean, with Kyrie, he first got in trouble with the, for the vaccinations, refusing to get vaccinated, which in effect is now challenging big pharma, again, challenging the elite consensus. And there are a number of white celebrities also, like this woman, Gina Carano, who also basically got canceled, fired from their jobs for questioning uh, Fauci and for saying things, questioning the attacks on Trump and so on by the mainstream media. So, I mean, you're, it's, it's a pattern you're seeing, black, white, across many groups, but particularly with these black men, you're seeing such a you know, horrible, racist, humiliating uh, attack. And I think it's something that we, we have to basically stand up to. Wow. Yeah. Some people, because I was looking up like stuff on Twitter about, I wanted to know like what other people were saying and stuff. And the whole, the mind comp thing I found out, because there's a tweet where a woman said, where a woman was said, the Jewish community has started a petition to have Amazon remove Hebrews to Negroes, which is the film that Kyrie Irving shared. Like, he just shared the link. He didn't even comment on it. He just shared it. And it's a book about how, like, it's it's a book and film about how um, African Americans, like Black people, are the original Israelites. Yeah. So it's like a legitimate. It's like a legitimate like um, study of like history and stuff. Whatever. I'll get into that later. But she says the Jewish community has started a petition to have Amazon removed. Hebrews to Negroes film and book from its platform because it's hashtag anti-Semitic. Meanwhile, Adolf Hitler's manifesto Mein Kampf is on Amazon and Apple. <laughs> Proof that they only want to silence the black man. Yeah. I just want to know why. How was the movie? Can did they say why the movie itself is anti-Semitic? Because I have see the, the producer and director <laughs> writes a um, a letter. She's gonna read yeah. it. Yeah, to the world, to, you know. The other thing is with Kyrie Irving in particular, like, okay, I'm very biased because he was on the Celtics. So I have a personal, like, feeling about it as well. Yeah, and, like, I'm also really proud of, um, I think it was Jalen Brown. Like, he's the vice president of the the NBA Players Association, which is their union. He's also a Celtics player, just want to say. He... <laughs> about because not Kyrie Irving, who I really think is a good person, but that's besides the point. He had a partnership with Nike, the best-selling shoe thing, and Nike's pulling their pulling their pulling hit like canceled ties with Kyrie Irving, and also said like, yeah, it'd be unethical for us to be partnered with Kyrie Irving. And then Jalen Brown, the Celtics player, said, "When did Nike?" He tweeted, "When did Nike ever care about ethics?" Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> the other thing is the way they're treating the public humiliation. People are trying to impose on Kyrie. That's the thing that gets me. Where they're trying to basically, like, what is it? Get him to self-flagellate in public. Like that is so humiliating. I don't like, it's one thing to be like, oh, we just want you to like, whatever, understand or just like, you know, tell your followers to like do their work and like actually research what this one's about. They want, they want him to literally publicly humiliate himself. Like Jahan listed the terms, like in order for him to literally play again, yes. he's banned for what, five games or something in order for him to play again, they want him to do four the things. Change back on. And, and, and then someone tweeted, said, I'm wondering if the black, and then basically this person said like, 
Sarah, Sarah Silverman, who's like a uh, oh. Jewish American, like comedian who has a black face and stuff. That's another thing. Basically, he said, I'm wondering if the black community can partner with the Anti-Defamation League to get Sarah Silverman to do the following. One, donate $500,000 to the African-American History Museum. Two, meet with black leaders. Three, go to sensitivity training. And four, write a four-page apology. <laughs> because those are the demands they demanded Kyrie Irving. So it's just to show the, the moral hypocrisy. Okay, if you want to get into this with Kyrie and Kanye, let's get into it then. Mm -hmm. Which brings me to the director of the author and director of the film Hebrews, Hebrews to Negroes Wake Up Black America. It's a film about Black Israelites, basically. Mm -hmm. He tweeted, he said, press release. His name is Ronald Dalton Jr., by the way, and this is on his Twitter. He says, press release. I'm not apologizing for nothing because I can't be anti-Semitic when I'm an Israelite, a Shema. Still waiting for a debate with the top rabbis to prove who is an Israelite by blood yes. and who can rightfully use the word anti-Semitic. Hashtag ask Ron Dalton, hashtag debate Ron Dalton. So he's <laughs> opening up for debate. Here's his press release, November 6, 2022, press statement. I vehemently reject and condemn any forms of prejudice or hatred towards any person, regardless of their race, religion, ethnicity, lineage, ancestry, or sex, as well as violence, racism, bullying, discrimination, Black Jew phobia, and the misuse of the term anti-Semitism. The quote African diaspora that was sent to the Americas and the Caribbean via the transatlantic slave trade are ethnic, quote unquote, ethnically the Israelites of the Bible from the lineage of Shem. Therefore, myself or anyone today who is a descendant of Shem's five sons cannot be, quote, anti-Semitic. As a Shemite, I am against any form of anti-Semitism and anti-Shemitism in America or worldwide. Racist scapegoating, as well as unfair tactics that hold communities of color responsible for societal problems, must stop. It is our collective duty to create a society where everyone has the same opportunities, irrespective of their race, religion, ethnicity, or race or sex. Freedom of speech and freedom of expression should not be seen as an infringement. But unfortunately, based on what we have seen lately in the news, this is a sad reality in America. We definitely have more work to do to fix this. The Israelites are dedicated to collaborating with all groups to make it possible for people from all backgrounds to watch the documentary, Hebrews to Negroes, Wake Up Black America, just as one might watch the 1977 Roots TV miniseries, which is shown annually every February during Black History Month. The quote, the capital M mass, capital M media, the mass media relies on promoting exclusivity stroking fear and assigning blame to those that go against their narratives. Everyone should be free to approach their past without worrying that they will be singled out, vilified, and bullied. I implore everyone to take the time to read my books, watch my movie documentaries, then quote unquote fact check everything so that we all can have a full understanding of the true history of black people in the diaspora, which is now being told from a quote unquote different perspective. Using the study of history, theology, geography, cartography, biology, craniology, odontology, genetics, linguistics, yes. archaeology, yes. anthropology, yes. and more, yes. I provide the evidence to substantiate that the information in my visual literary work is indeed factual. Hopefully after all of this is done, we can begin to forge a, na a nation founded on our complete history. I pray that we are able to continue to bring people together of all backgrounds to embrace historical events and facts 
that are detrimental to the progression of our society as a whole. Signed, Ronald Dalton Jr., CEO, Hebrews to Negroes Films. Mm, nice. Wow. Well said. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. And it is true. What Jahan was saying about Kyrie Irving, too, is any interview with Kyrie Irving, he's always saying, like, I'm a big promoter of reading the Oxford Dictionary. He was like, <laughs> reading the Oxford Dictionary changed my life. He said that. He was like, reading the dictionary changed my life. And I love to read. Like, it's well known that he loves to read. He, like, journals all the time. And here's another thing. Did you know that he is a member of Standing Rock Nation? Because his mother is Lakota. So, no, this is Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving is a literal registered member of a Native American nation. Wow. I'm sorry. Which is in, like, there's a really beautiful video of Kyrie Irving coming home. In 2018, he came home to Standing Rock. And he... He like donates so much money, even his sneaker line, he'll dedicate one to the Lakota Nation because for him, he's like, my mother was everything, but she passed away when I was so young. And for me, it's important to go back to my family. Like for him, his whole thing, it doesn't matter whether it's Native American, Black history for Kyrie Irving, he was always like, I, you only know your future if you know your past, yeah. which is why he's a big promoter of like knowledge, which Jahan was saying about sharing knowledge. And I feel like that's what the director was saying too. He's like, I'm not even trying to like evangelize anyone. I'm just here to say what's so wrong with people looking at history. a different narrative of our history. Yes. That's not a white man's exactly. I'm telling you, this is, wow. The other thing is, out of it's so Kanye and Kyrie never mentioned, I don't think ever really mentioned any of this. Farrakhan, Minister Farrakhan. Okay. And then I see Wall Street Journal publishes an opinion, opinion piece that says that Kyrie Irving and Kanye West are the poison fruits of Farrakhan oh, ideology. So he's bringing it all back to the nation of Islam again. Yes. And it's an opinion piece written by, like, I think a man in New Jersey, I think a Jewish man in New Jersey. And he's basically saying, like, see, we all told you so that we should have taken down the nation of Islam, that they're like a poisonous, toxic, like ideology. And like now you have Kanye West and Kyrie Irving spreading like this poisonous ideology to young people. Wait, what's their what's Kanye and Kyrie's connection to the nation of Islam? No, they don't necessarily have. They don't show a connection. That's why I'm confused by his but statement. They, but what they're saying is that there is, and this this is the claim of the Jewish establishment. Right. When we say the Jewish establishment, I think we have to be very clear mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that. Um, that it's not, it's not on the shoulders of Black people only to settle this. Mm -hmm. Where are the Jews mm -hmm. that claim that uh, they're woke and anti-white supremacists? Mm -hmm. Frankly, uh, and, and I, don't know, I know you, you had Abe Foxman's response. Oh, I just gave a rundown of it. Yeah, yeah okay. Um, you know, um, this is terrible. <laughs> this is terrible. And, um, you know, they want to say, you know, this, this is why when um, when Seraphine and I met talking about the Paul Robeson event, mm -hmm. and we said that we want to celebrate uh, Robeson's 125th anniversary of his birth, and belatedly, 
the 125th anniversary of the birth of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. Mm -hmm. And of course, that brings into play the nation of Islam mm -hmm. and all that it has done. Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, I don't know how people used to talk back in the time of civil rights and even before the Black Jewish Alliance, mm -hmm. because Jews were discriminated against, mm -hmm. but nowhere near the way Blacks had been. Mm -hmm. There was no Jim, there were no Jim Crow laws, to my knowledge, against Jews doing whatever. It may have happened in certain parts of the South, but there were no laws mm -hmm. denying them the right to vote or whatever. But, and this had to do a lot with Jews from Eastern Europe and who um, were, uh, who celebrated the Russian Revolution and that radicalism brought them close to the Black cause and the Communist Party. But then after World War II and the rise of a different kind of Judaism, and they're right, uh, the filmmaker and and I think Kanye and uh, Kyrie suspect that this Judaism is a political identity. Yes, yeah. That it has more to do with the consolidation of a political block mm -hmm. than it does with the religion. Yeah. Uh, just as a small thing, uh, Genetic population genetics show this is maybe about 20 some years ago. You can look it up. Uh, that there were a group of South African blacks who said that they were descendants of the original Hebrews. And they did genetic tests and come to find out they were, and they black people. Mm -hmm. uh, this idea that Judaism is a white religion. And as the Jews became white in America, that identity was further institutionalized. And that to speak as a Jew, you literally had to speak as a white person. Mm -hmm. What these, uh, and, and I think from what everybody says, I have not seen the documentary. I think it's good. Farrakhan said it's good. Mm -hmm. Others have said it's good. And the fact that the producer and director of it is not shying away from mm -hmm. defending uh, the film. And if it is not good, it won't be the first one that's not good. Mm -hmm. And uh, and we can <laughs> How old is the film? I think it's quite recent, maybe, I don't know. But, but it comes out of a certain discourse already in the black community for a long time. Yeah, exactly. You know, this is not new. Uh, there is a, a Jewish Christian church down at Broad and South. Yeah. yeah. Many, many Black people have identified themselves as Jews or Christian Jews. It's a very interesting, yeah. as most things with Black people are, very interesting. <laughs> the most interesting people, the most challenging people, mm. and see this idea that uh, the Jewish establishment, or Jews in general, let's let's be for real, for real, mm -hmm. that Jews in general 
have to be the policemen of black people mm -hmm. and that they have this authority because of their role in the civil rights movement. Well, you may have played a role. So did the universe, universal, univer, the universalist church. So did the Episcopalians. Many white people participated in the civil rights movement and yeah. gave their lives. Yeah. But let's be real. The civil rights movement was conceived of and driven by the black community. So when you produce a Martin Luther King, then we can talk. You haven't done it. And see this kinds of men, Emily, have talked about this. See, there's all, there are all kinds of subtle innuendos. One, that Jews are smarter than black people, that black people are dumb and need to be controlled. You understand what I'm saying? That uh, that Farrakhan is manipulating the thought of Black people, and he has to be dealt with. Uh, well, first of all, and I, I say this not to demean anybody, but all these claims of Jewish intellectual superiority and Black intellectual inferiority, well, first of all, show me your W.E.B. Du Bois. Show him to me. Show me your Martin Luther King. Show me your John Coltrane. You've not produced it. Certainly, you've not produced it under the conditions of struggle. This attempt to humiliate Black people and the targeting of Black men. Yeah, that's what it is. And, and you know, see, this is why I'm sorry that Gabe left. Mm -hmm. He needs this more than we do in certain ways. Uh, and I'm going to tell him about it when I see him. Wow. You know what I'm saying? You need this. This idea of Black feminism mm -hmm. yeah. was always problematic. Going back to Audre Lorde and James Baldwin, 1985. <laughs> Always when Audre Lorde said to Jimmy Baldwin, and, and, and she, she was his young head at the time. He, he, was his, he was the old head. And then he was sick at this time, by the way. Yeah. She said, there, were, there was a conversation and she said to him that, uh, well, you, um, uh, you, you wanna talk about civil rights and black rights, but you only talking about black men. And if you are really talking about the black community, you got to talk about your brothers who are kill, who are beating up black women in the street. And Baldwin, very gently, and then he would write an essay, I forget the title of it now, where he further teases out his position on this matter, and not attacking Audre Lorde. Um, he said, in effect, but are they not a part of our community? And is it not upon us all? to reclaim and redeem that. But 
that trajectory, which crystallized with all its force by the, by the uh, mid-1990s and then went forward, began an unmitigated attack upon the Black male, even as though they, even as they were dragged off to these penitentiaries and killed in the street. And in fact, when one of the earlier conflicts between the Jewish establishment and the nation of Islam, we want to come back to the nation of Islam mm -hmm. because it does represent the uplifting of black people and black men out of prison, out of the dope house, out of alcoholism. Mm -hmm. You know, bringing to the fore of struggle all of these people who have been disabled by the social conditions. Mm -hmm. That's what the nation of Islam represents in the black community and has always represented. You see what I'm saying? We can talk about, I'm gonna talk about their narrative in a minute, but anything that up, uplifts black people is then attacked. Anything that makes black people think that they are subordinate and inferior is elevated. All of this, these TV civil rights leaders and teachers at Princeton University, this is all a manufacture of consensus. Now, most black people don't accept it, but without a strong alternative, like, Kyrie and Kanye is presenting an alternative. And they're saying, I'm talking too much, but I guess what I'm it's a history to this. Mm -hmm. It didn't just start. And it almost started immediately after the assassination of Martin Luther King. By the 1970s, the Jews, people say, my friend uh, Catherine said the Zionists. Yeah. Well, but I don't say that because you can. There are many forms of Jewish anti-black racism that are not Zionist. I can make the claim that it is two-facedness. Yeah. That is worse. You know, I I would I would take the Ku Klux Klan over this. You claim to be my friend, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but you're my friend as long as I'm weak and subordinated Indeed. to you. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I, I agree with Johan. This is a turning point, maybe, mm -hmm. maybe. But like uh, Jerry said, you can't underestimate the ruling class. It is, it is a power move of people who could rise with the right conditions and they know it, the discontent is so deep. Mm -hmm. Black people, and if black people in under these circumstances, as always, black people, when they move, it moves as a group. You know, really, we look at it, we don't just move as one or two, it's a group. And so it is impactful of the whole political ideological geography. We have that capacity. That's why we must be contained. Mm -hmm. 
I accuse the Jewish establishment to a man and woman, be they the ADL, the American Jewish Com Committee, the American Federation of Teachers, yeah, other quote unions mm -hmm. as being a part of an anti-black cabal. Mm -hmm. And any protests against them is labeled anti-Semitic. Mm -hmm. Oh, just my, I wanted to make this point. See the question, see what we're calling Judaism, let me be more specific, American Judaism. Because I don't think it applies in Germany, France, Russia, Ukraine, mm -hmm. or other places. This is a white political identity. This is not religion. It has nothing to do with anti-Semitism. But then it is to cloak oneself in a kind of um, virtue and moral uh, standing to, to weaponize the Holocaust that took place in Europe, carried out by Germans, Ukrainians, Poles, and others. Black men and women fought in World War II to liberate mm -hmm. those concentration camps. Yeah. It was the Black Civil Rights Movement that opened up the South, that opened up the South for Jewish business and investment, especially in sports, sports teams. You didn't have professional basketball or football teams in the South before the Civil Rights Movement. They benefited as much or more from the civil rights movement, at least materially, than black folk have. And, and so it, you know, so this 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 fake feminism, this is what I was saying to, I was speaking for, I was trying to speak to Gabe about this. You know, when I said I voted for Trump. I still don't understand. Well, let me explain to you, mm -hmm. since you don't understand. Mm -hmm. Or do you want to understand? Right. Trump is the only major politician in the country that came out and supported Kanye. Mm -hmm. Trump. Yeah. Even in spite of the fact that Kanye criticized his daughter and son-in-law for their relationship with Israel. So how do you explain that? We have to be, and I, I and Johan is so right about this. The political ideological attack upon black people. Yeah. I I, I say to Emily, I try to because I, I try to protect you all all the time. Wow. Because this is not something that you all have experienced like this, this kind of blunt force ideological attack. And it's blunt and it's raw and it's ugly. You know, we've experienced it all the time. This is the life of black folk. 
you know, uh, and who are your friends and who are your enemies? Exactly. You know, and just because a person, a group says, oh, we want a black Jewish alliance. No, you want a, an alliance with one group being subordinated to you. You know, uh, Seraphine and I, we, you know, when we were getting ready, we were discussing, you know, the Paul Robeson 125th anniversary. And so, you know, unconquerable love. I keep, I keep thinking uh, exuberant love, but unconquerable. And so I asked, I asked uh, you know, if we were meeting and going back and forth, how would you feel if we also celebrated the 125th birthday of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, you know, belatedly. And she said, you know, and, mm -hmm. so we said, unconquerable love, the magnificent lives of Paul Robeson and the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. And if we can get it together and maybe uh, Minister Farrakhan could zoom in and speak a bit about this. Mm -hmm. And and all you know, and of course, uh, yeah, yeah, other people partnering with um, Moss Number Twelve and others. You know, uh, I'll tell you right now. Uh, and you know, talking to my friend Purnell, and see. You know, when you see people like him, the two of them are so different. Very different. He comes up not only, you know, from the hood, from what we call the tenderloin and all of that, but all of the iterations of, of, of pride, because we're not born in the world to be proud of ourselves. Our lives, we have to struggle to find ourselves Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and <clears throat> yeah, that. so they know what the nation of Islam meant whether one was, was a, a member of oh. yeah <laughs> But, but, um, so he, and, and, you know, and when he talks, it's a reflection of all the lives lost in that journey to come to a sense of oneself. Mm -hmm. And always this group of people behind you saying, uh, you know, no, we want you to get back on your knees. And it's targeted to Black men. Why do you want Black men on their knees? Right. This is the question that has to be asked. So, femi quote, feminism, which is so out of touch, with black women, 
you can walk these streets as any black woman, because every black woman has a brother or son that they worry about. And they'll tell you, black women, I don't, my mother, my aunts, all the black, you know, they ain't trying to promote, I, I want to get mine at the expense of the black man. Every black person knows that black men are the target. This is no, you know, it ain't no, and, and, and now they try to say, well, black men, because they're victimized, they're going to victimize black women. And then, you know, when we have this iteration, one of these, these explosions where they're going after, uh, let us say, Farrakhan because of the Million Man March, because of whatever, you get a, you get a lot of Black feminists that, that have no connection to the Black community. The only connection they have is some university department, which means they are their lives, their professional lives are determined by white people, overarchingly Jews in the academy, who then say, oh, I ain't got nothing to do with that. And they talk just like I'm talking. I ain't got nothing to do with that. That's between white men and black men. You know, that's, I mean, cold-blooded. Yeah, but this, this is why I agree with um, what you're saying, Emily. It reaches a point, these points have often been reached before. Where um, where they try to put us down now in a in a battle like this one, it's hard for anybody to sit on the sideline because everybody likes Ye, everybody likes Kyrie, everybody you know because they're celebrities and they're celebrities produced by the entertainment industry, but who you thought you knew you didn't really know. There's more to that. There's more to Kanye than they know. He's been, you know, he's a sad person because of his mother's death and just a number of things. And then his struggle, I'll put it for manhood, to represent his people. Right. You know, Kyrie. So I hope, my hope is that this finally ends this unequal relationship. And I would say once again, this is not about their religion. This is not even about the Holocaust because Norman Finkelstein pointed exactly. that out in exactly. his book. Exactly. And they, they took him down. Like he can't even get a job. Nope. Nope. He said in the book called The Holocaust Industry, he said, look, my parents are Holocaust survivors, both of them. All of the reparation money that was supposed to go to the Holocaust survivors, we ain't seen hardly nothing. Mm. But the lawyers, the Jewish organizations and institutions got paid. Mm. That's what he, you, you should look at that book. And um, I hope he weighs in. I, I don't think he, but yeah. he doesn't really have to. Mm -hmm. I think this is something yeah. that we can handle. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you get a chance, uh, look at Farrakhan's yeah. Uh, yeah. statement.
Maybe you want to say something about that. Uh, no, I haven't looked at it. But okay. yeah. I'm, I'm oh, I'm sorry. Oh, oh go, go ahead, Jay. Oh, go, no, go ahead, sir. Okay. Uh, I just wanted to say that, like, what is the stake that Black people have in the argument defending, you know, capitalism and Jewish people? That's my one question, because at the end of the day, even if you don't like what Kanye looks like or what he has mm -hmm. to say, He's still a black man that needs to be defended, and there's a certain problem, or there's a certain um, uh, relationship between ideas, a relationship that you have with media or corporations or your own self-interest that make it more complicated than that. And um, because I'm just thinking about how the conversation about the Black Jews and, uh, you know, the Black political um, thing, which is developed to find who it is that you are, develop what it is that you know, how in different ways that it, it, it's come under attacks about whether it be like, okay, do for stuff, okay, you gotta grow your own farms, but then the nonprofits wanna come in and kind of dictate that to you. Or um, there's a weird understanding of who the nation of Islam is and the whole question about move. As in like, there's a question about the nation of Islam and then there's a question or the effect of move in the political thought of black people as in, do we, are we establishment? Are we anti-establishment and so on and so forth? I think there's been, there's a lot of things that uh, maybe haven't been fully reconciled with or decided, but then I still also think it's a certain, at the end of the day thing, since um, there's, a, because there's a question about freedom that's still at hand. And I, I don't, and I'm only saying it like that because even if people have different opinions or different um, perspectives about uh, how to do things in particular is still a, uh, I would I would hope to say that there's still a, a consensus about yeah. black people wanting to be free. Right. See, and, and that's the thing. Why should we, why should our struggle for freedom be, be conditioned and compromised mm -hmm. by other people? Right. Mm -hmm. Why should we not have the right to self-determination? Mm -hmm. Now, yeah, you can, you can trot out Shaquille O'Neal and Charles Barkley and and every and LeBron James and everybody knows mm -hmm. where their bread is buttered. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? But it does not change the deep anger mm -hmm. mm -hmm. among Black people. This how how much and 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 you know the thing that I say so cold bloodedly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yes, yeah, so it's just so cold-blooded and ruthless. Mm -hmm. But you see, this is what I'm saying. There's something about this Jewish establishment. By the way, you got rabbis that don't agree with them, mm -hmm. but they're afraid to speak out right. because it is not about religion. It's about money, it's about money and it's about politics. Mm -hmm. yeah. But what I want to say is, um, you see, what they have, what they want to establish, 
They want to put black people on our knees. <laughs> they want us to have to go to them and beg. Let me tell you, but they don't step to these white organizations that way. What about the Boogaloo Boys? <laughs> what about them? Step to them, since you say they're anti-Semitic, you know? What about them people that's marching in Charlottesville mm -hmm. that you say was saying the Jews won't be put? Step to them people like that. Mm -hmm. You understand? Why don't you tell them, look at here, um, we want you to uh, uh, publicly humiliate yourself and beg us for acceptance. They're not going to see. That's why we know it's a power thing. And we know, see, this is what you just, you, you can do a deductive reasoning thing. Mm -hmm. The Jews are white. Mm -hmm. The proud boys are white. Mm -hmm. You know, you have more, a more uh, generosity mm -hmm. towards white people than towards black people. Which then established, and I would make the claim, this is the most ruthless form of white supremacy. Mm. Don't tell me. And so then they try to say, well, racism is because they call racism is one thing, but anti-Semitism mm. goes back thousands of years. And the people that produced the movie will say, well, yeah, well, maybe it did, did go back thousands of years, but it wasn't about y'all. Yeah. If there's anti-Semitism, it's about we who are the original Jews. And what, does, oh, I'm sorry, go, go ahead. <laughs> I think even just to add to what you're saying about how anti-Semitism, like this comparison of anti-Semitism and anti, or anti-Semitism and racism, yeah. there was this, um, there's this interview where, where a panel, essentially the producers brought up a panel of people to discuss the whole issue. And they even found this um, black rabbi. And that was, it was not good because he essentially was saying like, you know, I face more anti-Semitism than I do face racism. <laughs> and I mean, I think there's more to go into that based on what we've talked about, how, like what actually is racism and what actually is anti-Semitism. Um, and again, you see, can I just say one mm -hmm. thing? I mean, see, a lot of Black people would argue, would say that a person is not racist towards them if it is if they perform paternalism. Mm -hmm. You know, like, oh, you're so nice, mm -hmm. and you say, oh, that's not a racist. Oh, he's treating me in a paternalistic. No, that person sees you as an inferior. Mm -hmm. See, the question of racism as an ideology is not, um, is whether you see another group, especially Black people, as by definition and by nature inferior and treat them as such. And that's what we're working with. So I could make an argument. Well, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Alice. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I interrupted you. No, I think. Um, sorry, I'm trying to find my thought. But I'm sorry. In, in that particular conversation, essentially, they they wanted a black person to say yeah. that actually anti-Semitism is worse well, than racism yeah. in this country. Yeah. And so Jews are suffering more than yeah, black people. Exactly. Yeah. Jews are suffering more than black people in this country. But even in that level, 
what they are trying to hide from this whole incident with Kanye is that Kanye, I mean, even the people around Kanye like have been interviewed and they're like, oh yeah, actually, no, this is kind of like, even though the ones that are um, uh, like brought out to speak against Kanye that were close to him, they even say like, oh no, actually in his personal life, he's very kind to all sorts of people. He's generous, he's kind. Um, but then at the same time, they are either bought off or, you know, just um, this whole consensus um, ideology. Did you, did you name some of the people? Because so of one of the person was uh, the person who managed his Twitter. Uh, he was like <laughs> the communications guy for uh, for Kanye. Oh, black or woman? Wow. He's black. Mm -hmm. And, uh, oh, actually, no. I think he's white. Hmm? He's white. <laughs> he's brought out. That makes a difference. And yeah. he says, like, you know, like, he's always been kind. He's always been generous. But I told Kanye that... Um, when he wants, when he asks for the password to his Twitter, that's when I'll resign because that was a sign to him that he'll Kanye had plans to run for president. Uh, but that wasn't all entirely too clear as well. Where so even through that, it's like filled with contradictions where they can see that Kanye is a good person in like in the ways that are kind and generous to the people around him. But at the same time, they don't like when they when he's actually challenging the ruling class. Um, and even in the conversations in like popular mass media, they never really address the deeper issues that Kanye is getting at. They're just saying like, oh, Kanye, they're using identity politics to say like Kanye is oppressing Jewish people in this country. And that's like because he's a, especially because he's a billionaire, he's like he has influence, but it obscures the fact that he is not part of the ruling class. And this incident of Kanye shows that where he is being canceled left and right even his wealth is being wiped off from like his deals with Adidas um I forget the other deals but and uh but this masking of what actually is Kanye getting at which is like uh and Louis Farrakhan mentions this in his speech which is like Kanye is someone that represents a black man that's trying to find his history and his identity in this country but what was what is actually really gross through this thing is what doctor's saying in that they're really trying to make him apologize for standing up. Yeah. And that's especially evident even in the in media that's saying like, oh, we want Kanye to speak, like to say what he's actually thinking. So beyond the sound, but so Jahan shared this video in which Pierce Morgan, this like British commentator, mm -hmm. oh, interviews Kanye. And it's actually really gross because even though he's like, oh, like Kanye, we want to give you this platform to be able to expand on what you're saying in this tweet, blah, blah, blah. But actually throughout the entire video, oh, yeah. he's just trying to make Kanye apologize. Right. And Kanye's saying like, no, like Kanye, like even in that video, he shows growth because he's saying like, yeah, like in this tweet, I say in the beginning of this tweet that I'm tired, but also that I'm upset. Like, can you understand that as a black man, like there's been double standards in this country where when like, he even uses the example of, you know, if four black men are in a car and one is caught for doing something bad or illegal, everyone is implicated with him. Mm -hmm. So why is that not the same standard for Jewish people in this country? Right? <laughs> this pattern that I see in this country where it's like, yeah, like um, whether he's talking, well, he's talking about the ruling class in terms of specifically in media, I guess, in this instance in which they are controlling, you know, certain decisions of whether it's either through contracts, the sorts of media that gets pushed out. But even beyond that, no one is talking about the substance 
of what Kanye is getting at. Right. Everyone's just trying to make him apologize yeah. because they say, they're saying he's oppressing black or he's oppressing Jewish people in this yeah. country. Um, yeah, the Jewish lawyer. It's the word oppression. You have to realize that's literally tied to the system of racism. So you can't sit here and say this one man is an entire system taking things away from an entire group of people. Like this is why I'm so confused by this conversation. People are just throwing words at the wall like spaghetti. Can I ask a question? Are you are you confused? Yes. Why? I can't understand how you could be. I mean, are you I'm just saying by their comments, no, like how they're so why are you confused? Like, I mean, I mean, I don't mean to, you know, but I, I can't see how you're confused, Sade. I mean, I can't confused, but like ideologically, I understand why they're doing it. It's okay, the, explain to me. What the humanistic confusion is. Like, my just raw human reaction to hearing this is what the F is wrong with these people. Right. Like, no, that's what I mean. But, but see, I, let me just say one if I could just suggest something. See, um, it's not confusing, it's very clear. Now, you say, well, how could one group of human beings do this to? another group of human beings who are very oppressed. How could they do that? It's very anti-human. But see, when it comes to political systems, as it is power and money that talks, right. and I can't get in the heads of all of, of Abe Foxman and these other Jewish leaders, or Jewish people, I don't understand. This is what I don't understand. The average Jewish, why are you so defensive? Yeah. I mean, what are you defending? And this is, this is, I said this to Al, Alice, we're talking about this. But if they're not defending Judaism, they're defending whiteness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not a defensive Jew. See, because once the veil is lifted, and you say, wait a minute. Well, first of all, Almost all of you say you're secular. Yeah. Okay. So it's not religion. So then what is it? I am Jewish because I belong to a community, they would say, that has a history, history that does not begin in the promised land, but begins in Europe. And you have also have a history in the United States, American Jewelry, yeah. which after World War II became and defined itself politically. You're not defending a religion, you're defending a political, a political community. Mm -hmm. This is a, but go, go, let me let Jerry go in and then, and then Samir and then. Uh, yeah, no, I was just gonna say, um, I think, yeah, other people have watched the Minister Farrakhan video, but mm -hmm. it was, um, yeah, it was very clarifying and also just very powerful because he, he basically starts by saying, like, at this, like, given where Black people are, how mm -hmm. can we afford to be divided? Like, okay. yeah. we need to come together. Yeah. And I was actually oh, kind of surprised because even, like, I guess, like, the most egregious thing in the documentary, which is acute, which has been accused of the documentary, which I don't actually know is true because I haven't seen it, but they're saying that the documentary denies that the Holocaust happened, which I, I don't know if that's actually true, but like at least Minister Farrakhan, he's like, he's like, 
we sympathize with, with, with Jewish people who went through mm -hmm. the Holocaust. We can feel your pain because we're human. Yeah. And also because we've been through suffering. Yeah. Like he doesn't deny it, like, like he doesn't deny that the Holocaust is happening. But mm -hmm. I think, yeah, like as, as people have been saying, like the thing about this, which is so, um, yeah, so like terrible is that like what they're doing to people like Kanye and Kyrie is, it's like this socially acceptable form of basically attacking black people like it's like a socially acceptable form of like almost mm -hmm. like a kind of online lynching. like lynching yeah, yeah. yeah. and like it served that same social purpose mm -hmm. but no one is willing to admit it because like the other i guess something that is kind of new about at least this particular situation is that like the ruling class is trying to tell black people that actually no, what Kanye and Kyrie what that Kanye and Kyrie are not actually not black, that they're actually yeah. white at heart. And that this is why they're doing this. And that, that, that argument has been put out there. Yeah. And so, black yeah. And so that's that's like part of the new element of this, which is that they're saying, like, actually, no black people, you don't have to sympathize with Kanye and Kyrie because oh, actually they're they're actually the whitest, like they actually ask aspire towards whiteness. And I think that's part of like the new, maybe a new dimension, which is happening with like mm -hmm. the whole like woke stuff. But I think like the essential function of like why this is happening, like Minister Farrakhan, he lays it out very clearly. It's like, this is meant to control, not, it's not just really about Kanye or Kyrie. It's about the ordinary like black man, black woman yeah. who is being told implicitly, but basically explicitly through this whole situation that like, this is what happens to you if you stand up, if you question anything, if you tried as as yeah, Minister Farrakhan say, if you try to have any kind of knowledge of self. Yeah. And I think that is, yeah, what's disturbing about it, but also what is, yeah, like ultimately it is a very clarifying moment, I think, for a lot of people. Um and yeah, also like there's some there's some Facebook comments. So I just let Samir yeah. come in and then we'll go to the comments. Yeah, I was just gonna quickly say this reminds me of the women's march controversy where one of the organizers was canceled for having ties to Louis Farrakhan. Yeah. And uh it's not even like she was she was a Palestinian woman. Uh well there's a Palestinian woman and a black woman. A black, yes. And a Latino mm -hmm. Latino woman. Um, because I was just looking it up, and the black woman's name was uh, Tamika Mallory. Oh yes, and the uh, Palestinian woman, uh, her name was Linda Sarsour, and she's not even that radical. She's just mm -hmm. like you know, it's the women's march. It's whatever. Mm -hmm. But um, I just thought it was this crazy. is of uh, twenty seventeen, right? Yeah, 2017, 2018 is when this, this mm -hmm. happened, and um, it's uh, interesting because you brought it up that it's a pattern that keeps happening. To, to keep people in their place politically. Uh, and then I guess I'll add that, like, uh, um, you know, a few people have talked about how logically this is incongruous, like uh, the fact that uh, Black people are being accused of anti Semitism, uh, and you know, some Palestinian people are accused of anti Semitism, but anti Semitism is a European phenomenon. <laughs> you know, it's. Um, yes. It's it's uh, specific to the European uh, you know continent you know the relationship that Palestinian people have with Jewish people you know Leila Khaled says in her autobiography we called them Jews because that's what they called themselves we didn't know who they were when they came to the land we just you know go go ahead Jerry yeah um, Amadi Adramu says that 
like I think in reference to what you were saying earlier, that's definitely two-faced, how they're approached like this kind of racism. Um, and also says reparations is a real issue. Civil rights have benefited everyone but us in the long in the long run, it's clear. Um, but then also says that yay is not the same as Kyrie. They have different, they have fundamental differences in their analysis, but they're obviously treated the same. Critical analysis is required. And then also asks, what about yay being down with the MAGA movement? So I think it's yeah. Like they say, what about it? Yeah. Right. But I mean, it's the whole thing. It's like is that a, or, is that a crime yeah. to which you should be lynched publicly? And you okay, I'm sorry. No, yeah, because I mean that was the whole thing before this whole like the anti-Semitism thing was that they were accusing Kanye of being white mm -hmm. basically because he was down with Trump because he was down with like Ken Films and those people. Yeah. Um, and this goes into telling the argument of like, why aren't they then coming for these people as well? Yeah. Like, why are like, they why then cherry picking him? Like, why was anti-Semitism the last straw? Exactly. <laughs> like, MAGA stuff was okay. Mm -hmm. Trump was okay. Mm -hmm. All the white people supporting Trump, like, you can't cancel them. But then anti-Semitism is like, oh, no, oh, no. And now we bring in, like, yeah. someone, Magister, years later. Yeah. And then um, Danny says, religion should be judged by freedom of conscience. In order for religion to be true to its spirituality, it cannot be dependent on the profane realm, whether on genetics or anything else, it's based on faith. And he says, I don't think the issue is about who are the original Jews, by which no one would think that white Jews are the original Jews. And actually, usually Judaism is linked back to the Mizrahi. I don't know what that is. Yeah, sure. but, but rather the problem is when capitalism itself is identified as quote unquote Jewish, e.g. like for example, like when Jewish people are identified with banking and finance, this is the repetition of, medie of medieval, medieval prejudice. Um, and if no one is to respect one's, free, if one is to respect free speech, and I think we should, um, that one is trying to get, then one must allow for the critical reflection on the forms of misrecognition of capitalism on quote unquote Jewish money changing, usury, et cetera. Otherwise, um, um, otherwise, one is equally putting a taboo on free speech. And then uh, Pastor Keith says, good work, doc and comrades. Doc, you're putting it down. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think what Danny is saying is that there is a kind of trope of identifying, like sort of identifying Jewish people with capitalism itself. I think it is like, that is like a kind of different question, but I think like what is like actually happening is, mm -hmm not but it goes yeah. back to europe right and the european middle ages and the catholic church who said in effect uh the only places where jewish people in this case jewish capitalists we're not talking about the jewish working class right. and i want to make a before even going further that the history of European Judaism is not the same as the history of American Judaism. Mm -hmm. uh, not even from a religious, from a political standpoint and from an economic standpoint. However, there is a connection. Uh, one of the things, uh, because Jews were in Europe in the Middle Ages, not allowed to go in to certain occupations, they excelled in others. And it was uh, a kind of, if you will, a 
division of labor, almost a caste-like division of labor. Uh, so it is true. I mean, look, I mean, people who identify themselves as Jews of one type or another mm -hmm. are overrepresented in finance, academics, professions, and so on and so forth. Well, some people say that's because Jews are smarter than everybody else. <laughs> well, maybe Jews are smart, but that doesn't explain all of this. The other thing is, see, Black people do have a case to be made. Mm -hmm. Take Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Hollywood was not Gentiles as much as Jews. What were the images of Black people? I mean, I mean, it, the history of that, mm -hmm. you know, uh, then uh, uh, up till today, what Kanye is saying, and I agree with any, I'm not, nobody's saying the two are the same. Mm -hmm. And they don't have to be the same to be defended on the same principle. What Kanye is saying mm -hmm. is that you don't get all of this negativity pumped into the Black community, into the minds and veins of children without a corporate structure that made it possible. Mm -hmm. Now, let me show you something. Nobody, nobody, and not enough Black people protested the bees and hoes and niggas and I'm going to kill you and, and, and videos with drive-by shootings. Mm -hmm. You do that for two and a half generations. Collapse the public education system. Have university courses. Black kids go to university, think they're studying Black uh, studies ain't read Du Bois or Baldwin and nobody else, but yet they got five, six courses on hip hop. So much so that a dummy will call itself the rapping professor. You know, I mean, look, it don't happen unless those in power facilitated it. So if you get so upset because you say a man that says, well, people who, are identified with a political community are overly determining this. Now, if it's not true, show the research. Oh no, we were just helping 50 Cent and Lil Jeezy and them get their product out there. But suppose they were calling white women bitches and hoes. Suppose the drive-by wasn't in Compton but drive by in, in uh, Beverly Hills mm -hmm. and they're killing white people. Right. Mm -hmm. No. Mm -hmm. It would not happen that way. And I think I say like Shakespeare, methinks thou thus protest mm -hmm. too much. Mm -hmm. Your protest indicates some culpability here. Mm -hmm. And we're not all wrong about this. Mm -hmm. And there are few Black people who will speak up because of the consequences. 
You know what I'm saying? If you want to be a university professor and get tenure, keep your mouth shut. You know, oh, I ain't concerned with Kanye and them because they they transphobic. Mm. And I'm into trans rights. You understand what I'm saying? But no, we're not talking about trans or gay or LGBT. We're talking about an entire people. The violence against trans people is, is they don't even measure on the scale compared to the violence right now against Black people. It's institutionalized. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this is what, I mean, so I would say to Danny, you know, I understand what you're saying. Mm -hmm. That's not what Kanye okay. is saying. That's not what Kyrie is saying. Now Kyrie is doing something specific. Mm -hmm. You know, now, I, now, now I'm gonna be forced to pay some money to look at the film. <laughs> you know, oh, you seen it? I, I've, I've tried to watch it. Every day, and I, I, in each time, did it deny the existence of the Holocaust? Going to sleep. They put this three hours, but three hours plus, and and it's playing in my head because it's like you know, it's the voice over. You know, it's supposed to be a documentary, and trust me, you just. You got me a lot of espresso or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This will put you to sleep. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I was like, where's the hype? Where? Yeah. Where's the information? I mean, yeah. you know, it's. Well, I would give it another try, but it's like a thirty-five. You can find. You can have a strategy to watch it. Yeah. But, but see, that's the point. Mm -hmm. That's the point. Uh, first of all. Most black people ain't gonna watch it. Yeah, Most black true. people didn't even that's hear about it in spite of Kyrie tweeting it. Mm -hmm. So so the question is, if it's on Amazon, if it's on eBay, wherever you can get it, if the book is being sold, along with mine cuff, of course, mm -hmm. you know, why did you elevate this? into a national political yeah. crisis. Right. Yeah. There's something else. Go ahead, go ahead, Jerry. Well, yeah, I mean, this is, I think this is the point that Baldwin makes, but part of it is that, especially on this question of the Holocaust, mm -hmm. it's like the dynamic which happens when, like Baldwin points out, why is it that the Holocaust is the only thing that is recognized in the history of the world yeah. just like truly terrible? Right. But mm -hmm. even if you think that the Holocaust, like obviously the Holocaust was terrible, mm -hmm. but if that becomes like the only thing which a lot, like there is like a kind of policing around that, that's the only thing that has authority, then, and if that becomes like the main thing, which is formative also of like the Jewish American identity too, mm -hmm. then like what is, like if that's true, then like Jewish people also have agency. Mm -hmm. you know, it's not like that they don't also have a moral choice to make mm -hmm. and they, they can decide too, if you see like some part of your history in the Holocaust, like what is, what, like, is there anything that can actually be produced by mm -hmm. that historical experience? And how can you lay, like, how can you only lay claim to just victimhood mm -hmm. when also every, every people in the world has gone through struggle, Absolutely. has gone through, especially colonialism and imperialism right. and the transatlantic slave trade and every group 
of people have found some way to act, be able to turn that experience into something which is useful for struggle and for change and for like a new kind of world. And so I but think- right. yeah. But then why is it only weaponized against at certain times against certain people? Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, let me let poor, poor people I ask you. Like a small thing to add to what Jeremiah was saying. I was thinking about this very same thing because I watched that video with Minister Louis Farah mm -hmm. talking oh. about this. Then he says this thing that, okay, nobody, nobody in their right minds would say, oh, the Holocaust was a great thing. Everybody thinks it was a travesty. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you don't, no, nobody derives moral authority in this day and time for oppression that happened in the past without being part of the struggle of today's generation for peace and freedom. No, Indians can't do that also. Like, you can't have, like, Gayatri Spivak or Arundhati Roy, you know, with this, or, or anybody from the subaltern school now play the victim card. Mm. Uh, just because, you know, India, uh, the Indian people were subjected to you know the, the horrific crime of you know colonialism there were famines that killed way more than six million people by the way but um you don't just get to be you know have moral authority today because that happened to the indian people then it's where you position yourself with respect to the ruling class now mm -hmm. that gives you moral authority king had moral authority because he was fighting for peace freedom and democracy for all humanity not just because you know the black people were an oppressed people that's 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 true yeah but where like that's why he is king and he's not like you know ibram kendi's and nobody <laughs> you know anyway i'm just feeling really emotional because uh, yeah. go, go ahead go. and then we have to get I'll out make, of this I, I i remember i visit the um hebrews you know the brothers because it's a kind of the black Jews. Yeah, the black Jews mm -hmm. and the Hebrews. And they really, and um, they might, they saw me, they said, oh, you, you, you're a Hebrew like we are, because I haven't just started dressing the kind of way. It's just something that's in your, it comes into your custom. It comes to tradition. But when you find out that they all study Native American like I, like I was, I, I, I've been relentless. But the, for them to be able to, to, for this to be amplified, and all these books these brothers was reading. And I have a Torah at home, mm -hmm. sitting with all my other books that I have had in my journey. Mm -hmm. But but for them, for them, to, for them brothers to, to walk through Philadelphia and all places that I've met them through different junctions and kind of be an authentic person, like Tony says, don't call me Doc. I'm Tony. I, I, I grew up in the neighborhood. I, I'm the same way. I don't, and, but the thing about the thing about it is that black people do have this real deep spirituality of Nathan in the Bible, Jeremiah in the Bible, all of these books in the Bible, how we treat those books and how that book is in, in our families, tradition, mm -hmm. and, and for somebody to be upset that I don't want to call for Jew, I eat more Jewish food than Jewish people they even thought about asking for something, smoke fish, or whatever that, whatever those customs was. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't want to go on saying I'm Jewish, but but it's something in our in our heritage mm -hmm. far older than the person that come on our shores here. That's fair. You're right about this. Far older. Because the claim of the people of the book, the, the, the people tribes, that, the yeah. people that the, the tribes talks about the tribes, what they're contesting. Because you're right about the, the tribes. tribes. Let me forget to the tribe. Because yeah, the tribes, the tribes. Of, but you know, black folk consider them. I'm talking about African Americans. Mm -hmm. yes. 
we can, a lot of us consider ourselves people of the book. Yeah. We, and you write about that. I, I, and and, that's and, and they're mad, and they are so mad that, okay. that so what, the argument for me is that there ain't no argument. It's authenticates, like, don't ask me, is we Jewish or not or Hebrew? Mm -hmm. I'm just saying it's, in, it's indelible in, our, in the nature of the book with our people. Yeah, but that just interrupt you. See, this is a very important, this, because, you know, there's a reason why all the great movements of Black people have been church-centered, you know, because we do see ourselves in the biblical story. <laughs> and we are, and there is a certain faithfulness. Yes. And even... Even you get it, whether it's the Hebrew Israelites or whether it's the nation of Islam or whether it's various Christian churches, yes. Black people debate these things forever about, because they're trying to, they try to find themselves in the, in the sacred books yes. because they have not been able to believe professional historical yes. accounts. Yes. So they look to the Bible. Then of course the Quran, yeah. but to but really even with the nation of Islam and yeah. the Sunni Islam, it's really more like biblical accounts, and they try to find we try to find ourselves in the stories mm. of the Bible yeah. and of to find what prophecy means yes. in the various prophets, both the Old and New Testament. Yeah. Now this is where. Just if you want to take this level, and I don't know how deep it gets, but I don't care if you're Muslim or Christian or Jewish and Black, mm -hmm. there is something about the identification with Jesus. I'm telling you. Yes. And even Farrakhan and those, the Nation of Islam, highly values Jesus. Yeah. And... Um, but because we see in that narrative and in that suffering mm -hmm. our collective experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's what Kanye is saying. They, yeah. they go, see, they go back and they, it's not all, because they're not doing scholarship. They're trying to anchor in what we would call the prophetic tradition, yeah. which yeah. is not the tradition of the secular. Mm -hmm. And for us, I have to say, can I just say this, if you don't mind, and then we could go. You know, because I'm always trying to explain the way Black folk are. It's, a, it's beautiful in its complexity. It's so beautiful. You know what I'm saying? And um, there is the tradition that is called the prophetic tradition. Mm -hmm. And it's this prophetic Judaism. There's prophetic Christianity and there's prophetic Islam, you know, in particular. Yeah. And prophecy is the ability of certain people throughout history to see the future in the present. That makes a, one a prophet. That's why if you if you go to the nation of Islam, they're talking about the most honorable. Elijah Muhammad, mm -hmm. our eternal leader. Yes. And his argument 
is that God came in a human form to him. I mean, it's, but it's not outside of religion and prophecy and the prophetic tradition because we're all brought up with that. And that's what, and if you go to the church of the overcome, well, if you come, if you go to a, an Episcopal or Presbyterian church, they don't, you know, even the black Episcopalians, they don't have it. Like, like black uh, evangelicals, black Baptists, black, black Methodists, Methodist. yeah. yeah. Uh, Pentecostals, yeah. we're all out of that tradition and you hear it preached all the time. Yeah. And our prophetic vision, what, what one of the, 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 the points of, of divergence and sharp point, because, and what Kanye and them say, I, that's where I would, there is prophecy and then there's professional historical historians mm -hmm. that we are and this argument that we are the people of the book mm -hmm. we are the people that the torah yeah. and the bible the old testament yeah, was indeed. talking about that's what they're saying mm -hmm. we are that people mm -hmm. and for then they say for us us if we are that people what does it mean in prophetic terms yeah. Now, some would say that's esoteric, and maybe it is. Mm -hmm. But we have a right to be esoteric, don't you know? So on and so But we have to go. I'm so sorry, y'all. <laughs> yes, and we'll continue this. <laughs> this is hot topic. Well, bye, John. Bye, John. Oh, bye, John.